This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Here we go. It is a Monday edition of the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning is producing today's show. You out there. Well, what a weekend it was. Where do we even begin? I mean, you had the frustration of the Phillies losing three out of four to the Marlins. And the only game they won, nobody actually saw. And then, of course, you had the Sixers and their rather easy win over the Raptors. We'll get into both of those. Plus, the Eagles NFL draft is coming. We are within uh, less than two weeks now, 10 days to the NFL draft. That is on the agenda today. NBA playoffs. Had a ton of storylines, stars emerging, storylines, and more. Well, we'll start with the Sixers' win over the Raptors, which was probably the best-case scenario for the 76ers. The way they came out, won that game handily. They had a lead. Yes, they coughed up the lead, but they never let it get away. And they really won that game with a whole bunch of things that you didn't expect, I guess you can say, right? You didn't expect that Tyrese Maxey was going to come out and steal the show, 38 points. You didn't expect that you would win a game. If I said, hey, Joel Embiid was held to 19 points in the game, you probably said, well, then the Sixers didn't win that game. You didn't expect that Tobias Harris was going to have one of his best games of this season, maybe in his Sixers career. I mean, I think it it was under the radar a little bit about how good of a game that Tobias Harris had because of the fact that Maxi just had such a good game. I thought Tobias Harris really had a difference-making effect in that game. And he definitely, if he plays like that, if Tobias Harris plays like that, well, then I could see this team having a lot deeper run than maybe I thought at the beginning of this thing. If you get that Maxi and that Harris, the Sixers are going to be tough. Now, that being said, what are some of the things in that game that happened that I have a tough time seeing happen throughout the course of this series? I don't want to sit here and be a negative Nancy, but they shot 50% from three-point range. I have a hard time seeing that happen in the rest of the series, and that's with a Danny Green 0 for 5 on the night. I don't mind Green being 0 for 5 if he's getting those looks, but he's got to connect on 2. If you're getting 5, you got to get me 2, Danny Green, in that corner. He was 0 for 5, but it got made up by the fact you had 3 from Tobias, 5 from Maxi. Harden had 4, Niang came off the bench and gave you a couple triples. You had 16 threes in the game at a 50% clip. So the Sixers just shoot lights out in the game. They absolutely took advantage of it. Now, why did they shoot lights out? I think that's a fair question, and it's something that we should start today's show with. Why did the Sixers shoot 50% from three-point range? Well, there's a lot of factors here, but let's start with James Harden. Harden, we talked about, had the pressure. The pressure was on James Harden, and Harden give him a lot of credit. He controlled the pace of the game. He controlled the tempo. He controlled the offense. I thought Harden had a really good game, even though if you look at the score, right, he scored 22 points, doesn't jump off the page, but the 14 assists jump off the page. But more than anything that jumps off the page for me in regards to what James Harden did 
is how he controlled the tempo. You know, he lulled defenders to sleep. He drew so much attention because he was very patient. Instead of trying to rush things, you know, he lulled the defender to sleep, which sometimes his defender didn't get lulled to sleep. It was the weak side defender that got kind of antsy, right? You would see a guy nestled in the corner. Let's say in this instance, Tobias Harris. He's nestled in the corner. And here's James Harden kind of rocking the baby, rocking the baby at the top of the key. And the defender's kind of staring him down. And then what happens? Because James Harden is just kind of dribble, 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 dribble. The weak side defender who's defending, whose job is to be defending Tobias Harris, he comes over for help. And that's when Harden just whips one over to Harris. That defender tries to get back to Harris. And then the next thing you know, Harris makes the extra pass. There's Maxie with the catch and shoot. Bang for three. And they had a lot of opportunities like that. The fact that James Harden didn't try to rush through the offensive progressions, I give him a lot of credit for that. I thought he did a really good job. So a couple observations on the game. The Sixers won despite not needing a huge offensive game from Joel Embiid. He had 19 points. But I thought the Sixers, we talk about Doc Rivers. I didn't hear too many people giving Doc a lot of credit. But if you're one of those people that blame the coach all the time, I would think yesterday was a game where you have to say, hey, they were the more prepared team. That was my observation. The Sixers were more prepared than the Raptors were. You know, they talked all week about having a really like a training camp atmosphere. Like this is the first time the Sixers got to really practice with James Harden. You know, for like a straight week, they had a chance to do what they do in in training camp and really put the nuts and bolts of their offense in and tighten the screws. I thought the Sixers just flat out a more prepared team yesterday or Saturday, didn't you? Like when it comes down to it, They just looked a step ahead of everything that the Raptors threw at them. I thought the Sixers really did a good job of using Embiid, I don't want to say as a decoy, but they put him in spots that allowed others to move without the ball for easy baskets. And then Embiid finished with four assists in the game. You know, there's a play that sticks out to me where Embiid has the ball up around the three-point line, and people yell all the time about him not being down on the block. But what ended up happening is his defender comes out on Embiid because you have to because he'll hit that jumper on you if you don't. And then what ends up happening is the the weak side defender, he takes one step towards doubling Embiid to try to get the ball away from Embiid or what else? They send these weak side guys blind, blind side at Embiid because they're trying to go for a steal. But Embiid is at the point now where he'll see you coming And then I thought Tobias Harris, he had a nice little back cut. And Embiid hit him, bang, layup. If they're going to move without the ball, you're going to get a lot of easy baskets. And I thought the Sixers, using Joel Embiid, they use him as a screener a lot. And Embiid also, not only was he used as a screener, he waited for the double when he saw it coming. And there's where you get those assists. Number two, James Harden was a factor in the offense efficiency by lulling the weak side defenders to sleep, as we discussed. But he was also able to get a lot of deep penetration where Harden would dribble into the middle of the lane, forcing switches 
and then he would bring it back out, and now he has the guy on him that he wants. So he would dribble into the lane. Let's say Van Vliet. Well, they went after Van Vliet a lot. I think that was a definite. Uh, Doc Rivers at practice must have said, hey, guys, let's go for Van Vliet because they went after him a lot. So let's say whoever was defending um, uh, Harden starts off on Harden. He gets into the painted area, and then he brings it back out, and now he's got a switch on him. And at that point, they're like, ah, darn it. <laughs> I mean, now we got the wrong guy on. They just seemed like they were a discombobulated mess on defense, Toronto, which is not normal for them, right? A lot of open looks for the Sixers, and then, of course, they hit the three-pointers. I thought the Sixers did a very good job of going after Van Vliet on the defensive side. They use Embiid as a screener. The Raptors drop coverage a lot, and that allowed Harden to kind of use his vision. I don't know that the Raptors are going to go that route again. I would imagine you don't see them dropping coverage a lot the second game. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they that's the adjustment they make. But I think they will show a different defense at Tyrese Maxey. I would just – that would be my first guess is they ran a lot of drop coverage on switches. And the problem was when they dropped in coverage – Maxie was a step past you already. Maxie just blew right past you because in your switch, you're dropping back. So there's a little bit of a clumsiness in between there. And Maxie caught the ball in rhythm and just took off. Uh, Tobias Harris, aggressive, made quick, decisive decisions, um, finished around the rim. That's not something he does very well. He made the extra pass on it on occasion. And I thought, look. Got to give Tobias Harris credit. I thought he played good defense. I thought he played good defense. He was locked in on Fred Van Vliet a bunch of times using his length, and it gave Van Vliet some problems. You know, Van Vliet would get into the lane, and Harris at 6'9", gets a hand up, and Van Vliet's got to shoot up over the 6'9 hand, and he had some problems with that. He wasn't very effective Let's say Fred Van Vliet wasn't. Uh, he's a guy who has really hurt the Sixers in the past with deep penetration, getting to the bucket. He's had 30-point games against them. And then the Raptors, as we mentioned, had no answer for Maxi. He took advantage of a lot of one-on-one coverage and the extra attention that went to Embiid and Harden. And if he plays like this, the Raptors are going to be sent home early. 38 points, five threes, four rebounds, two assists. He was excellent. And look... The Sixers, with that type of output from those guys, Embiid, Harden, Harris, Maxey, they're going to be difficult against everybody. But an undermanned, I don't want to say an undermanned, now they're undermanned. Now the Raptors are going to be undermanned. Why? Well, they will not have Scotty Barnes for the rest of, uh, I don't want to say the rest of the, the series, but I would be pretty surprised if he comes. He's in a walking boot today. He's not playing tonight. You're not going to get Gary Trent Jr. tonight. He's got a non-COVID illness, and Thaddeus Young's still not ready to play. They're down three rotational players now. They're already, look, what I've been saying leading up is they are a bad matchup. Why? Because they're a pain in the ass. They are well-designed defense. They switch a lot. Why? They're like the Tampa Bay Rays. They don't have the talent, so they have to do a bunch of different things that you don't see a whole heck of a lot. That's why they're a bad matchup. But the Sixers, I thought, did a really good job of preparing this week. It seemed like anyway. We'll see what happens tonight, game two. We'll see what kind of adjustments. We'll talk to Paul Hudrick a little bit later. Uh, Michael Grange call, covers the uh, Raptors as well.
for Sportsnet. And uh, we'll get his thoughts on what adjustments they have to make, the the uh, the Raptors. Because there is certainly an adjustment there. I think they're going to defend Maxi a lot differently. I would imagine, here's the thing, I would imagine you're not going to see as many doubles or as much attention put on Harden. Because I thought all the attention that Harden got, he killed them, 14 assists. So do they back off of that and let Harden be the guy that tries to beat them? Do you want to go down that road? Because Harden has not shot the ball well. Now, he shot the ball well the other day, 4-7 to seven from three-point range. You can't, you, can't take the, um, you can't take the attention off and beat it or he'll score 45 on you. Right. I mean, he scored 19 and you weren't even in the game. But that's because you put so much – they put so much attention on Embiid, and the other guys beat you. If you're Nick Nurse, do you say, look, make those guys beat us again? I mean, let's see if they can beat us two times in a row, and if not, we go back to our building, they're losing Thibel, we're down two games to none, but at least we're coming home. Make the secondary guys beat us. I think that's probably a better strategy rather than changing the whole game plan. To me – I think that's the key, what you just said, and what you mentioned earlier, which was you said earlier in what you were saying, Mike, that this team shot so good. Can they replicate that? Can they repeat that? To me, I don't know how much of the game plan was on offense uh, a great success if it wasn't for the shooting. If they're not hitting 50% of their shots, how are we saying today, oh, great offense, or are we saying – well, MB was getting double, triple teams, and the guys around him didn't hit their shots. Well, that's a lot of basketball. I mean, sadly, the game today, we go, we we get so deep into it sometimes, and I've always been saying, look, who hit more threes? At the end of the day, that team probably wins 85% of the time. Right. You get 32 threes, you knock down 16 of them, there's a good chance you're probably going to win that game. Now, a lot of it is you're making a lot of shots because you're getting open looks. Right. The fact that you got such good looks contributes. And I think, you know, that's where we look at. The Sixers had so many good looks at the basket. They had so many good looks for three. Now, you could get good looks, and they just don't go down for you. But they were put in good position to win that game. So if you want to get Doc credit for that, go for it. Doc, Look, Doc Rivers gets criticized a lot for the people who criticize him you can at least say he had some factor in them winning the game i always say the coach to me gets way too much blame for the losses and never gets any credit for a win i give them blame eh, i'm about an 80 20 all right i go 80 percent players 20 percent coaches in losses same with the win i'm not saying doc won them that game but they were more prepared and the preparation, the players need to execute on, right? The, the players execute it. Doc Rivers could have put the same game plan in, and if they went 10 for 32 instead of 16 for 32, or maybe, maybe we're having a different conversation today. But those six extra threes that they made because they got good looks. Look, the winner of game one wins the series 76% of the time, all right? They needed that one. But they got more work to do. Maxi, 38 points, most in a playoff opener by a Sixer player since Allen Iverson in 2003. Maxi's highest regular season total was 33 points. So he had his best game as a pro last night in the playoffs. So 
that kind of tells you something. Doc, you can rely on young players. You know, and they went with Paul Reed. And guess what? They didn't cough up the lead. He wasn't great. He didn't do anything that stood out. But he rebounded, and he was a plus. They didn't have a 15-point lead evaporate because they went right to the basket. I thought Paul Reed gave him good minutes. That's been a big topic of conversation. So what are some of the highlights for you guys in game number one? 609-403-0973 is the text board. 609-403-0973. If you're listening on the free mobile app, you can message us through the phone uh, the app on your phone. And if you take a look at game two tonight, what adjustments do you anticipate happening? Text board is coming in. 609-403-0973. Mike Toronto's is a try-hard team with no superstars similar to the Knicks last year. A less talented try-hard team can win on a Tuesday in January. But in the series in the playoff, the more talented team is winning almost every single time. We're on board with that. I can get on board with that. I said... I think the, the the Raptors, to me, are a pain in the ass That more than anything. They're not better than the Sixers. They're just a pain in the ass. And you're right. The pain in the ass team can beat you on Tuesday night in February. But to win seven, uh, four out of seven, it's tougher for the less talented team to do. I would say with one caveat, though, this Raptors team is way better than the Knicks team that that text was referring to. Remember, you got two guys on this team who were part of that championship team, Siakam and Van Vliet. You have a head coach who's won a championship. No offense to Tibbs. As a head coach, he's never even gotten to the NBA Finals. So there's there's more talent and pedigree on this team than that Knicks team, and that's what makes him dangerous because to me, Mike, last uh, – I'm sorry, not last night, Saturday night, I have been saying that if Harden plays at the level that we know he can play, the Sixers will win those games. The question is, as you asked, Mike, if they start saying we're going to let Harden you know, start scoring, can Harden do what Maxi did in game one? Because if he can't and Siakam picks up his play and goes out there, he still had, what, 24 points in game one. If Siakam goes out there as 30 and 10 and Harden goes, let's say, 5 for 15 shooting, the Raptors will be right in there with two minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and you'll be sweating it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this Toronto team has more offensive uh, weaponry than that Knicks team did. I mean, you could say Randall's a pretty good offensive player. I think Siakam and Van Vliet are better, too, than what the Knicks had last year. But I think his point is more they won a lot of regular season games because they try hard, because they are a defensive-minded, try-hard team, similar to what the Knicks did last year. But, yeah, the Knicks, I think, uh, were very short um, offensively last year. This Raptors team is better than the Knicks team offensively was. Um, so let's see. A couple things. I don't think – I don't think – that Joel Embiid has another game where he's less than 20 points. All right? That's one. I agree. Number two, I don't think that Maxi has another game where he's 38. So the question is, can the Sixers win if Embiid is the one that is scoring the 38 and Maxi's the one with the 19? Is that a recipe? Now, you might say, what's the difference if they're just flipping? I'm just saying, and my point is more, 
Do the Sixers need to win this style where the other guys are the scorer, not Embiid? I, I give you 19 to Maxi, but let's say he scores 14, and you know Harden only has 17 as opposed to 22. You know, and Harris had 26. Let's say he only scores 18, closer to his average. That's where I'm wondering if the Raptors just change their focus to Embiid and say, all right, you be the guy that scores. See, I I, I don't think so. I would think they're going to let Embiid try to um, – I mean, I, I would imagine they're going to try to let the other guys beat them again instead of saying, all right, well, that didn't work. Well, because Nick Nurse, who is not a dumb coach, I think he understands that the Sixers – are not going to shoot 50% from three every night. Right. So let's see if they can do it again. Right. Like you, It's like the concept of I'm going to roll my dice with the guys who I'm less likely. Like, do you want to be led the league in scoring? So am I going to worry about Maxi or Embiid? I'm going to worry about Embiid. Because you know what? The majority of the time, not every night, but the majority of the time, if Embiid's not scoring around his average, the Sixers are usually in trouble. I got more observations from game one. Thoughts ahead for tonight's game two. I want to hear from you guys. Hit me up on that text board now, early and often. Pound it away. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Reaction, observation, thoughts on tonight. I'll read yours off coming up next. Don't forget... It's your last week to qualify for Pick Your Trip. One lucky listener will win a trip for two to the Eagles road game of your choice this coming season. You pick the game, airfare, hotel, pregame, tailgate party, and two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. Listen for the sounder at 255, 355, 455, and 555 today on the Sports Bash. So, we got that. Mike McGarry joins me at 2.40. Also, we'll talk some Sixers tonight with Paul Hudrick in the 4 o'clock hour. Philly's a disastrous weekend. Bob Wankel from Crossing Broad at 3.40. We're just getting started on a Monday here on the Sports Bash. Now, back Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, 228, Mike McGarry in about 12 minutes from now. Stick around. we got another chance for you to qualify coming up at 255 for Pick Your Trip, an Eagles road trip this year. You pick it. We'll provide the airfare, the hotel, and two tickets to the game of your choice thanks to our friends at Philly Sports Trips. Travel with the pros at Philly Sports Trips. If you're a diehard Philly fan who's looking for some great Philly sports road trips, it's time to check out the full trip lineup at phillysportstrips.com. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Best. Oh, yeah. Eagles uh, conversation a little bit later with Adam Kaplan for Football at Four. The Sixers win. They're up in the series one game to none. The game one winner has won 76% of the time. Mike, like Doc, I'm going to say it's slow. Tyrese Maxey is and will play consistently from here on out. Uh, on a Ant Edwards John Morant level, which will lead to the Eastern Conference Finals, you can stamp that. If he plays at the level of those two young men, Morant is on another level. He's ridiculous. And Anthony Edwards outshined him the other day. Morant's been a bigger 
name more recognizable as the number two pick in the draft a couple of years ago after Zion. Anthony Edwards as the number one pick in the draft. Kind of got lost in the sauce a little bit, and I don't know why. Uh, he was the number one overall pick, but he went to Georgia, not a big basketball school, even though Morant was at Morehead State. But the fact that he went to a smaller school, I think, actually helped to, like put him on the map more as a guy from a small school that you're like, whoa, whoa, where's this guy from Morehead State? Where Anthony Edwards went to Georgia, and they weren't like a great program, and he was the number one pick. He's a beast. Um, now, keep in mind, Tyrese Maxey went to Kentucky, which is a tremendous basketball program. But if that text message, I'm not saying that you're off base. Maxey, to me, this is what Maxey is impressed to me. He's smaller. That's one knock against him, that he's a smaller guy. He's only like 6'2", so he doesn't have. Now, Anthony Edwards is like 6'4", Morant. Not, those guys aren't big guys. But Maxey's ability to one, he's not as fast as Allen Iverson. But, man, he has that quickness and that first step that when he is in motion, he just gets by you. And the second thing about Maxi that has impressed is, do you know that he finished third in the NBA in three-point percentage? Like, I don't think we think of Maxi as like, he's not Reggie Miller, he's not Ray Allen, he's not like, you don't think of him as a three-point shooter first. It's like if he makes threes, that's a nice cherry on top. It's getting to the point now where the three-point shot is a part of his repertoire. The three-point shot is a big part of his game and his success. If he's going to hit threes at the level that he's hitting threes, he's going to be a superstar. He's not going to just be a star player. If you're hitting five of eight, Five of eight he hit the other day. Five of eight. He took 21 shots. He led the team in shots. And there was that pass that Harden hit Maxi on the run. And there's a, I don't know if anybody saw the video of this, but Maxi is on the bench and he says to Harden, how did you even see me? Right? And I don't even, I don't really know what Harden said in there, but Maxi's response was like, you believe in me. Right? That's the thing. Maxi is coming to terms that these guys trust and believe in him now. And if he's going to play at the level that he played at, I'm not asking for 38 points, but if he's a guy that's going to score 15 to 20, 22 points, the Sixers are going to be tough, especially if the way he's scoring those points is hitting the three. I'm not asking for five of eight, but hey, can you give me two for five? He shoots 43% from three point range. Can you give me two of five? That's a recipe for a very, very difficult team to defend. Tobias Harris, I thought, was excellent. And if Maxie wasn't historically great the other day, and I say historically great, it was his biggest scoring output of his career. It was the highest scoring sixer for a first playoff uh, series since Allen Iverson. I mean, we're talking about things that don't happen all that much. If not for Maxie and the game he had, we're talking about Tobias Harris today basically winning them that game. He had 26 points. He had six rebounds. He had six assists. He had three threes. He was efficient around the basket, 9 of 14. He got himself to the line six times, 5 of 6 there. Tobias Harris, that's the version. And what do we talk about? We were talking about this around the trade in that Harris has to be a catch-and-shoot three-point guy. He has to be 
accepting of when I'm open in the corner and I get that look, catch, shoot, I got to hit that shot. And he's starting to gain comfort in that role. But he also did a good job of not over-dribbling. He did a good job of moving without the ball. He did a good job of setting others up. As we said, how many assists did he have? I don't think anybody ever says, man, Tobias Harris, what a great passer. He had six assists. And a lot of those aren't flashy assists. It's just him catching, saying the shot's not here for me. Extra pass. I'll let Maxi take that three. Bang. I thought Harris played one of his best games as a sixer. All around, the six boards, the six assists. He had a steal. I thought he played good defense. What happens in game two? We'll get into that later on. 609-403-0973. Keep your text messages coming. 609 403 0973-609-403-0973. If Tobias Harris keeps playing, maybe not at this level as he did game one, but a guy who is a real part of the offense consistently, does that make you feel better about how deep the Sixers can go? Well, there's no question. You're going to get this Harris... Maybe not literally what we saw in game. I'm not one, saying but, 26 points. It's the other stuff. But, you know, tw- 20, 10, and maybe a few assists here and there. 10 I don't even need. The other day, he had six assists. He had six rebounds. It was shot selection. It was decisive, quick thought. That's the biggest problem with him. He gets inside his own head too much. You know? He gets into the situation where he gets the pass, and he doesn't know what to do with it, so he puts it on the floor. He's dribbling too much. He, It's like in baseball. When you say to somebody, what am I going to do if the ball's hit to me, right? What are my options? What do I do if the ball's hit to me? And Tobias Harris had the answer. What am I going to do if the ball's passed to me? I got three options. I can either catch and shoot. I can make the extra pass. I can dribble, drive, and kick. He had in his head, what am I going to do if the ball's passed to me? You don't see that a lot. You see the wheels start to turn a little too much for Tobias Harris. So good game there. More observations on the way. A couple text messages coming in. 609-403-0973. Adam says, it's so easy to see who really won the trade when you get this version of Harden, especially when the clown is on the bench with the sunglasses and the other two guys lay egg. Drummond couldn't even be on the court at the end of the game. That's from Adam. Yeah, if you get this level of Harden... Sure, that's easy to say in hindsight. He didn't get this level of Harden. And by the way, Drummond couldn't get on the court. He is—he was in foul trouble right off the bat. Yeah. So they had to get him off the floor. They attacked him hard. They did. I thought that, and we get to that game a little bit later, that game was very physical. They let them play. Drummond was in early, early foul trouble. And Curry came out of the gates and shot well. He kept them in that game early. And then they kind of took him out of the game. Look, Drummond and Curry are role players. No one's saying you win because of those two guys. It's that those two guys got taken away from the Sixers. When we say a team wins the trade, it's not because, wow, look at what Curry and Drummond are doing. It's now that the Sixers are that much more depleted. And if Harden's not going to be this version of Harden, then you deplete it yourself by getting, and getting a guy who's not filling what you're now lacking by losing those two role players. Right. But when Harden plays like this, that's a different story. Now, we'll see what happens when Ben Simmons returns. 
if, in fact, he does. It sounds like he's going to. More sports bash on the way. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. We'll see what he thinks. Did that game on Saturday, game one, make us feel more confident and comfortable about this team? Forget this series. About this team. Funny how one game sometimes changes everybody's mindset. Should it? That's up next here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Now, Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, 2.42, we'll have another chance for you to qualify for Pick Your Trip, an Eagles road trip. You pick the game, one lucky listener will win an Eagles road trip for two this year. We'll be at Slack Tie Brewing Company. We will uh, have that sounder going off here in about... 12 minutes, so stick around. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City as we take a look back at the weekend that was. Phillies uh, not so good in Miami yet again. Some things never change. But let's start with his thoughts on the Sixers as, uh, I don't want to say dominating performance, but as close as dominating as you're going to get, Mike, as uh, they take care of business. A lot of people were concerned about how this series might look, but uh, they kind of silenced the critics at least for one game. Yeah, I thought everything that could have gone right for the Philadelphia 76ers went right Saturday evening, and everything that could have gone wrong for the Toronto Raptors uh, went wrong. I thought the Sixers got tremendous games from their four top players. Obviously, Maxi was fabulous, but James Harden, 14-15 assists, and I thought Embiid's energy at the start of the game really set the tone uh, and now you have a, a Toronto team that's kind of beat up in a position where, you know, facing a must win tonight or they're going back down, uh, back to Toronto down 0 2. Yeah, you know, it beat only 19 points. If I tell you that on Friday, you probably say, eh, that's not a good recipe. Uh, but the way Toronto was, was, was dead set on not letting him beat them, but they got beat by everybody else. Do you think Toronto stays with that tonight and says, hey, if Maxie and Harris are the two that beat us again, we'll take our chances. Yeah, I kind of think they do because, you know, the Sixers shot the ball extremely, extremely well on uh, on Saturday night. I don't know what the exact uh, percentages were, but they were tremendous from three-point range and hitting open shots also. So, you know, if I'm Toronto, uh, you know, I've got to try that strategy again and say – you know, will Tobias Harris, will Maxi hit the same shots that they hit on Saturday? And if they do, you know, maybe you have no choice but to shake their hand after the game. But I'm certainly not going to uh, switch and, and, and single cover and beat and let him go for 45 against me. So, uh, you know, I, I would dare those guys to make the shots that they made Saturday. And if they do, you know, the Sixers are going to win the series pretty easily. Yeah. What do you do uh, with what Maxi did? I mean, how do you change your defense of him? Or do you just say, hey, shake your hand if you do that again? Or is there something different that they can do to try to slow down Maxi? Well, I think what he's got to see some more bodies. Is, uh, Toronto really had problems containing him off the dribble. And once he beat his first guy off the dribble, there was little or no help there. So I would emphasize you know, getting some bodies, you know, uh, in front of Maxi's path. Uh, so if he beats the initial guy off the dribble, there's early help and maybe force him to give it up. You certainly can't let him go unencumbered to the basket the way he did on Saturday. And, and then, you know, you just got to hope he cools off. I mean, he had the game of his life on Saturday night. I can't imagine him playing much better than that. If he plays at that level, 
for the rest of the playoffs. The Sixers are going to have a very, very deep playoff run. But I think some early help, uh, you know, so if he beats the initial guy off the dribble would be the first way to start. Yeah, and, you know, he had five of eight from three. At what point do you start to say, hey, this guy hits threes? I mean, I I, I feel like we don't really acknowledge him as this three-point shooter. He finished third in the NBA in three-pointers. He was five of eight. I mean, he adds that to his repertoire. He's 43%. That that guy's tough to stop all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. With his speed off the dribble, if he's going to shoot, you know, five of eight from three-point range in a game, you could ask me all you want what you're going to do to stop him, and the answer is you're not. So if he's going to shoot like that from three-point range, and with his speed and his ability to go off the dribble and his ability to get out and transition, you know, when Harden threw him that beautiful bounce pass for the reverse layup, I mean, if he plays like that, you know, if he shoots like that and, and can go to the basket like he has, I mean, then you're talking a, a, a star, star player. So, uh, yeah, if, if he combines those two skills, you know, you throw up your hands because there's not much that you can do. Yeah. How about um, the game, the role that Harden played? All right. Let's get your perspective on what we saw from Harden and the role that he played. I mean, 22 points, not great, but the 14 assists. I think it was how he got the assist and the way that he got the assist. He really controlled pace. Yeah, and and he and the, a lot of the assists were for open shots and open layups and stuff like that. There weren't where he, you know, hockey assists, where he passed the ball and a player made three moves and scored. You know, he found people in wide open positions to get some shots. I think what you're looking at, Mike, is to me, Harden is not shooting the ball well, obviously. I think that comes from his legs. I, I still believe, even though they say he's healthy, I believe there's got to be some hamstring issues there. He just seems to have no lift on that three-point shot and, and outside shooting his legs, especially as the game goes on. So I don't think he's completely healthy. But if you're going to get scoring like you did from Maxi and Harris and you're going to get 14, 15 assists from James Harden, which is something he's done consistently, I think, the last five or six games, and you have Embiid, you're going to be a pretty tough team to beat in the playoffs. Yeah, Tobias Harris, 26, six rebounds, but the six assists, too. You know, he was decisive, and he knew what to do with the ball. That's one of his biggest problems, too much dribbling, too much indecisiveness. That was one of the best games I think I've seen him play. Yeah, and since Harden's come uh, onto the team, he's been much more efficient. And I think what you're seeing there is a guy that you were looking at in some cases to be your number two player before Maxi kind of emerged or your 2A player or your three player is now your number four player. And as a number four threat on the offensive end of the floor, Tobias Harris is pretty good. I mean, a lot of people put an unfair focus, uh, you know, with him because of the contract. I mean, the Sixers had no choice to pay him that contract. As I've said before, when it comes to the NBA, it's not my money, you know. So, But if he's going to be your number four option, you know, that's pretty good. Uh, Some injuries tonight. Barnes out. Trent, uh, non-COVID illness, no Thad Young. I mean, uh, it, it is a team that's short on, I don't want to say talent anyway. This is a team that just, they have to work hard. I mean, they don't have that guy. Um, is this a game that you would say is a must win for the Sixers? Yeah, they won their first game 76% of the time game one, but you have to win this game now. You can't, you can't cough this one up after such an impressive performance and they're shorthanded. Yeah, I, I mean, they've got Toronto in a position where they can really uh, put themselves in position to take command of the series, especially going on the road 
you don't know what's going to happen in Toronto. No five, but you don't know what's going to happen up there. Toronto is a pretty good home uh, crowd. Uh, the We the North thing goes on up there. Oh, yeah. So you've got those two. You got those two guys out. You've also got Dan Fleet, who's kind of banged up. And I think Barnes is a big loss for. Big time. Toronto, big loss. I mean, I don't think the Sixers, he was very effective early in that game. I don't think the Sixers really have a matchup for him uh, that could have contained him. I mean, James Harden against Barnes is not something uh, I don't think any Sixers fan would enjoy seeing. So I think not having Barnes is a huge loss for Toronto. Oh, I agree. I thought when Barnes went out is when uh, Harden was his most effective. And I thought Harden did a really good job of kind of lulling them to sleep and doing different things. But Barnes going out, definitely size problem. Uh, here's another thing, too, is they sent, they put so much attention on Embiid and Harden. I wonder if tonight they put less attention on Harden and see where his shot is. Yeah, I mean, that's always, uh, you know, as you mentioned before, like, how do you stop Maxi? Maybe you uh, shift attention away from Harden and make him shoot the ball well from the perimeter, something he really hasn't done since his first week in Philadelphia, and maybe make him a few and maybe uh, flow the defense a little bit more towards Maxi's way. So, you know, it, it seems strange to say it, let James Harden, you know, kind well, of. See if he uh, shoot. See, see if he's going to shoot. Right, his, hit his shot. Shoot. Exactly. And, and that, like I said before, to me, it just looks like he doesn't have his legs. Although I thought on Saturday he did hit one or two threes in some big spots. I think there was a point early in the uh, late in the first half where I think Toronto had cut it to like seven or something. He had a three to to put it right back up to 10. So I thought he hit some timely three-pointers. But again, you know, that that's one of the weaknesses. That he does, certainly does not seem to have the lift on the outside shot, nor does he seem to have the lift around the basket and the ability to finish around the basket. And again, to me, that's leg. And, uh, you know, so I, I, you know, no inside information and the, and the club says he's healthy, but he, he doesn't look like he's 100% healthy to me. Mike, uh, before we let you roll here, let's uh, quickly give me a hypothesis in your mind why the Phillies cannot beat the Marlins. Well, it seems that the Marlins are a a thorn in the side of not only the Phillies, uh, but the Mets also. And I guess, you know, some teams are just like that way. Uh, You know, uh, that's the sort of baseball thing. The Phillies, I'm staying calm, Mike, with the Phillies. They're four and six. I realize the Mets are seven and three, but we're early in the season. That can sort of change. I think the Phillies are going through a bad stretch. You know, before the season started, I wrote five Phillies guys who had to come through to have a, to have good season for them to have a good season to make the playoffs. One was Schauber. He's, he's one for 28 and been dropped from the leadoff spot. Another guy was Nola. One okay start, one bad start. One guy is Wheeler, who after yesterday, I have major concerns about his health and, and his ability to sort of repeat the success he had last year after that career-high innings count. The other was Stodd, who struck out, what, four or five times Saturday night, and who knows when we'll see him again. And the other, the other guy I wrote about has been solid, has been Sir Anthony. But when you have four big players like that sort of struggling – you're not going to win many baseball games. No, and we're going to see Nola for the third time. I mean, everybody seems to be down on him, uh, which is with good reason. I mean, he has not been very good. Uh, but you're right. The line. I'm not in a panic mode here. It's just more the culture of at what point is enough enough that we can't beat the Marlins? I can't take you serious until you take care of business against the Marlins. Like at that point, it's like, uh, come on, you can't you can't take two you can't split with the Marlins. You get and it's not yeah what they. 
Exactly. What they've done, Mike, in losing two out of three to the Marlins and being four and six right now is they haven't. Three out, no, the they lost three out of four. Three out of four, correct. Uh, they haven't changed the narrative from the past couple of seasons. There is right now a here we go again feeling with the Phillies that we're watching the same team that finished 82 and 80 or 80 and uh, 82 and just missed the playoffs, you know, each of the last three seasons. There is a here we go narrative. Yep. And there was a lot of momentum with the signing of Castellanos and Schwaber at the beginning of the season. And that has been, you know, uh, sort of lost. And, and like you said, it's like we're watching the same old movie. We've all seen it before and we know how it ends and we're not very happy right now. So the Phillies need to change the narrative. I'm not sure Colorado's the place to do it, but uh, they, they've got to do something because I agree. It is like here we right now there is a deja vu. Here we go again feeling with the Philadelphia Phillies. And not only that, Mike, you're you're what, 10 games in. No reason to panic. They've already changed the batting lineup. They're moving guys all over the place. There's no consistency to the lineup. I already see people. This is funny. People couldn't stand Bohm. Now they are arguing why he's not hitting every single day. <laughs> it's it's crazy. I mean, they got so many DHs so that you can't even get Bohm into the lineup as a DH. He can't play in the field defensively because he's so bad there. Um, you know, it just seems there's no consistency to where I'm hitting in the lineup. I'm getting a chance to play every day. Let's use the same. How about trying the same lineup for four or five days in a row before you make a change? But, hey. It's the early season. I'm not ready to panic yet, but there are frustrations of the way this team is run. All right, there we go. There's yeah, it's, it's 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 funny you should mention that though, because I was thinking about the change of the lineup and stuff. And, and there's two ways you can go with it. One is you can say, well, Girardi's being smart. He recognizes this doesn't work. He's not waiting. Why wait 20 games or 25 games if, if you think it's not going to work after 10? Make the change. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is. I'm panicking, and I've got to change something because we're we're in trouble. So I don't know which way we're going to go with it yet. Uh, the next couple of days might tell us, but there's there's two ways to look at that lineup change. One, they're being proactive, and one, they're pushing the panic button. I don't know. <laughs> All right, Mike, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. He'll be back on Wednesday. We'll recap Sixers and the Raptors, plus we'll get ready for game number three. Thanks, Mike. All right, Mike, see you down the road. Right, that's Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. And right now... That is our Pick Your Trip sounder. I need caller 7, 609-573-3776. Caller number 7 at 609-573-3776. Caller number 7, you are entered in for a chance to win a trip for two to the 2022 Eagles road game of your choice. If you are our lucky winner, that trip includes airfare, hotel, a pregame tailgate party, and two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. You must be present to win at Slack Tide Brewing Company on Thursday, April 28th. It's all courtesy of Philly Sports Trips. Do Philly Sports Trips with the pros. Plan your trip at phillysportstrip.com. And brought to you by Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine, Ernest and Son's going to be bringing some food to Slack Tide on Thursday. Caller 7, good luck. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Back to the line, he jams it, he blows by Siakam. A burst that only Maxie has, and he stuffs it. 
That was the call right here on 97.3 ESPN Radio. Tom McGinnis, you heard it. Maxi with the big game. Your text messages, 609-403-0973. We got a lot more calls from McGinnis I got to play. He's outstanding. If McGinnis is listening, I know sometimes uh, he lives down here, so uh, he might hear us from time to time if he's in the car. He's excellent. He, he just You don't want to get out of the car. He's just hes just great. Great job, McGinnis, if you're out there listening. Uh, text messages coming in. I'll read them off. You ready to uh, read off and react to some of these uh, text messages? Now, what was your Saturday like? Can you be a more specific? Well, I mean, we were talking on Friday. See, I can't ask you a, a general question like that. You don't remember what we talked. Friday, we talked about, like, you were doing this Saturday. You were going to this place. You were doing that. So I say, what was that? How was Saturday? Could you be more specific? We just talked about this Friday. Well, I mean, I just walked in the room a few minutes ago. So I don't know what you may have said the very second we opened the show. I played the McGinnis cut. Okay. Well, my Saturday was good. I was over at Slack Tie Brewing a good chunk of the afternoon before the Sixers game. That's nice. You know, went down there. Had Let, get the lay of the land. You know, saw where you're setting up for the uh, Sports Bash Eagles draft party. Okay. Talked to the owner, Jason, for a while. He's a big sports fan. Loves the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. That's very nice of him. Great guy. Great staff down there. You know, obviously, of course, you know, aside from the Angry Osprey, which is, you know, everybody's you know, favorite if you love a good IPA, they have this new sour beer called the Haywire. And the I'm hay- not a big sour beer fan. I know a friend of mine likes sour beers. I'm yeah. not big on the sour beers. The thing is, it's not a traditional sour beer. It's kind of almost more like a, um, it's almost like a sour beer meets a shanty mm. kind of deal. So if you want something refreshing when it's a nice warm day outside, it's definitely a good option. But mm-hmm. they have a ton of good options on the menu. I'm one of those people who doesn't just drink one thing when I go to a brewery. So Well, I'm. So, 6 o'clock Sixers game. I had the Phillies game on the app. 5.30, Phillies game came on. Of course, they won that game handily. They are up 8 nothing in, like, the third inning. Yeah, when they're on the app, they win, apparently. Right. Nobody saw that game. How many people out there listening actually had the Phillies game on Saturday? That's what I'd like to know. That's a great question. How many people listening today actually remembered... And tuned in for the Phillies game. Was it on in any bars? Did any of the bars put it on? That's a great question. I mean, I I was at home watching the Sixers game then with the Phillies on the device. So, yeah, I had the I was outside on my porch watching Sixers, mm-hmm. and you could see my inside TV from my outside porch. So I had the Phillies game on inside, Sixers game on outside. Now, was it easy for you to pull up on the smart TV? Yeah, I would say that, yeah, I mean, it's just an inconvenience. That's more than anything. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's, I'd say, if I if I said it took me two minutes to do, but it did, I, I had to type in, like, so I went to my app section. I have a Samsung TV mm-hmm. in my living room. So I went to the app section. I put in NBC Sports. It wasn't, I can't get the My Teams app on NBC Sports, but NBC Sports app, it's pretty good. 
it offers all of the NBC Sports properties. Okay. So I could have watched, like, the Warriors or whatever teams play on NBC Sports. Gotcha. Like, in their market. So it was a pretty user-friendly app, at least. Yeah, and the Sixers game was, like, one of the first options, or the Phillies game. And the Sixers game was on there, too, by the way. Right. Uh, so I could have watched the Sixers game on the app. So I brought it up. The only thing it was, it asked me, I had to do something. I had to get, I forget what it was, but I had to do something, because I have it in my phone here. I, I kept the tab open in case I have to do it again. Oh, you had to put, like, the uh, the, the code, like, you know, you know, Hey, put put in the code if you're a subscriber to Xfinity or something. Something like that, yeah. And then it they would send ask you the code. Well, and it then... asks you like, what's your provider? Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's similar if you like, for example, like uh, HBO Max or Hulu. If you log in with that, like your your primary TV, for example, it'll say, you know, if you want to sign in, you know, one one click sign on with a code, and they send it to your phone. Yeah. So. It was a, you know, it's just an inconvenience. That's all. Once the game was on, it was fine. Like, no problems. It was on in my living room. I wasn't really paying attention because by the time I actually got the game up and going, it was like 8 nothing. <laughs> so you missed the whole offensive Well, onslaught. I was outside. It was a nice day. My it was a beautiful game day. over. We're out on the porch. I had the TV on outside. I was watching the first game uh, ahead of the Sixers game, which was what? What was the first game on Saturday afternoon? Oh, I mean, it was the Jazz and the uh, Mavericks. The Jazz and the Mavericks, right? Yeah, and then there was another game in there somewhere. Was that? Oh, the Heat and the Hawks. The Heat and the Hawks. Was, was it the Heat and the Hawks or did they played yesterday? Or was it Was it the, the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies? Yeah, Timberwolves-Grizzlies it was. That was a good game. Yes. And then the Sixers came on at 6. And then I was like, oh, the Phillies game's on. Let me see if I can figure out how to do this. So I went inside. I put that game on. Because at that point, it's almost like a challenge. You know, you're almost like... You know, you you almost want to be like, see, if I did it, you can do it. Kind well, of thing. you know that, and like, my brother-in-law's a baseball fan. His boys are all baseball. They play baseball, so they like baseball more than basketball. Okay. So I wanted to have that on as well as like an option. And like I said, you can my back porch. You can see. You've been to my house. Yep. You can see easily. Clear. Yeah, I have a huge window. That you could see right into the living room. Yeah, you literally, if you sit in the one the one spot, you can literally just swivel your head back and forth like you're at a bar. Yeah, almost. you can see both of them easily. So yeah, it's like sitting at a bar. It but was um, so that was cool. And then um, after the Sixers game was over, was that Warriors Denver right? So yeah. I had a long day of basketball. I enjoyed. It. I love good this. day of basketball. It was. I, I like this kind of year. Um, Mike, I remember about a year ago after the Celtics got eliminated in the playoffs, you gave a eulogy about the Celtics franchise and their future. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Well, I'm not going to get 100% of things right. I mean, thanks for pointing it out. I mean, okay, maybe I was wrong. It happens. You're wrong every day. I mean, 10 times a day. I got wrong once. I'm sorry. I was wrong about the Celtics franchise. They're in a much better spot than I gave them credit for. I wouldn't yeah, say but- wrong, wrong, wrong. One wrong would be sufficient. But I'll own up to my wrongs. You should try it there, Mr. 305. You're wrong 10 times a day. Yeah, and let's be, you're going to be right every once in a while with all the wild claims that you throw out. But here's the other thing with the he's Celtics. Not, but, but he's not wrong. They are in a much better spot. Put it okay. I say this: they're in a much better spot now. Why? Tatum has yesterday anyway took a step up. Yes, that's a big thing for them. Well, there's two things. One, you mentioned Tatum that game a step was great up. yesterday. It was incredible. But two, on the flip side of that coin, Mike. You have to give them credit for the fact that when Isaiah Thomas went down and they had to recalibrate the roster, they 
for lack of a better term, they got a little lucky. They did some good moves. You know, the Marcus Smart, they chose Smart over Rozier. That was a smart move in the long run. They figured out a way to rebuild the bench, a bench that has been questioned a lot at times. And you saw that Brad Stevens, when he moved to the front office, didn't really stray away from the game plan that Danny Ainge had set in well, place. Well, I, I would say this. The Celtics are taking – like, people act like, well, the Celtics did this and the Sixers did this. They're both on a timeline that has taken a while. I mean, the Celtics have not won the – now, the Sixers have won a championship. But this team is way – they're way out of that championship group. Since the Celtics reached the NBA Finals with the previous group oh, they've of they've been players, to the NBA – the Eastern Conference Finals twice. They have. That's my point, though. They've been to the conference finals twice, but not the NBA finals. So, yes, in in literal trajectory, they've gotten farther than the Sixers, but neither one of them has gotten to the promised land yet. No, and I would say this. I thought the Celtics, this is where I think the guy's trying to play gotcha and call you out. Mm-hmm. I thought the Celtics seemed like they were flatlining and, like, hitting the apex. Now, I love this. There was a guy yesterday. This guy's a real L. Oh, really? I mean, a total L of all time, this guy is. But, so... Shape of an L on your forehead, oh, what? He's just a total loser. <laughs> but, so I said, Trey Young, good in the fourth. Been saying since All-Star break, I want no part of the Hawks. Heat likely don't either. Well, of course, in game one, and everybody was complaining about this, I totally would feel the same way. They put the Hawks in the worst of the worst situations. They played in the play-in game on Thursday night, the mm-hmm. late game, and then they had to play the 1 o'clock game on the road on the first day of the playoffs. They did them no favors. Yeah, they only had, I think it was like 24 hours off, basically. That was a scheduled loss, and they got the doors blown off of them. They were never in that game. So, of course, you get blank face guy who says, you thought you were going to be ahead of the hot take curve with this one, didn't you? I love how the series are all done after one game. The Heat are already sweeping. The Celtics are now NBA champions. Like, can we let the series play out? Like, if I was to ask, who's this clown? <laughs> Ryan A. Rob. All right, Ryan A. Rob. Two first names. Did okay. I think that the Heat were going to lose game one? Of course not. Now, do I think the Heat are going to win the series? I said on Friday, yes, I think the Heat are going to win. But I wouldn't want to play the Hawks in my first round. Just because you think a team's a pain in the ass doesn't mean you think, I don't think the Hawks are winning the series. I just don't think the Heat, put it this way, if you're the Heat, would you rather have to face Trey Young and run around with him for a seven-game series or Cleveland? That's tough, though, because I think that I think that the problem for Cleveland this isn't is, even an answer from. There's not even a thought in here. There's not even any thinking well, about. That's because this. you're in love with Trey Young, apparently. I, put it this way. <laughs> put it this way. I don't want to play Trey Young number one. He's already proven in the playoffs. Cleveland right. has no guy who's proven anything in the playoffs. No, they. I haven't, have a proven playoff they... performer. I don't want to have to face him if I don't have to. Now that doesn't mean I think the Hawks are upsetting them and winning the series. It's I just rather not play. 
the team that, I'm sorry, went to the Eastern Conference Finals a year ago and have Trey Young on the team. I'd rather take my chances with Cleveland. And I totally understand that. I just think that the Cavs offer the Heat something that the Hawks don't, which is guys, big men, that will cause them problems. Because without John Collins, it, it alleviates some of the pressure in the backcourt, or the, the front court for the Heat, which are, frankly, they're kind of small. Oh, yeah. Listen, the Hawks are not a perfect team. And again, I wasn't, I didn't say that they were going to beat the Heat. No, At but no you... point did I say Atlanta is going to beat the Heat. All I said is, if I had a choice, I would want not want any part of them either. Two... That's not Hawks are beating the Heat. It's, mm-hmm. I think they're going to make it a tougher series than Cleveland would have. Two things can simultaneously be true. The Heat can beat the Hawks in five or six games, and you don't want to deal with Trey Young. They both want to can be simultaneously Trey, true. I don't want to deal with Trey Young anytime I don't have to. That guy can score 45 in a game, win a game by himself. They have other guys. We've seen it already. Now, are they a good team? They're not. I mean, are they a great team? No. They should, they should never have beaten the Sixers last year. You had a historically awful performance from Ben Simmons to make that a seven-game series, and you lose. That being said, they beat the Knicks in the first round rather handily, by the way. They won another round. They got experience in the Eastern Conference Finals. If you ask me, who would I rather face? I don't want to play Trey Young if I don't have to. I don't think Garland is quite on that level as a player. No, my biggest concern if I was Miami, if I had to deal with the Cavs, would be Evan Mobley. Because the problem is that typically you're playing in that four spot, P.J. Tucker. And Evan Mobley's got about four or five inches and maybe like 30 pounds and jumps higher than P.J. Tucker. Does. Yeah. So, but listen, for, for a series, it, if you have, if you're willing to throw the bodies at Trey Young, you might have a chance. Because he's not going to shoot, what was it, one for 12 or whatever it was? In that first game, he's not going to do that every night. But if you're willing to throw the bodies at him, you know, the Vincents and the Duncan Robinsons and the Tyler Heroes and the Kyle Lowry and just keep cycling those guys, you have a chance. Like, I'd like to see what people's weekends are like. That game ended. The guy, like, what what is going through your mind? You're watching that game. You saw the final score. Is the first thing you think of is, let me screenshot the score and send it to the guy on the radio. Probably. What kind of lives are these? Like, I'm sorry, what the hell's the guy's name? <laughs> Ryan A. Rob. Ryan A. Rob. Two first names. I- I- I'm sorry I didn't think of you when I lost when the when the Hawks lost that game and say, you know what, man? I was off base on that. Is that the first thing that went through his mind on Saturday? What what day was that game? Sunday. Yesterday. It was was it yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. Was that the first thing that entered your mind was, hey, you were off base on that. Let me screenshot the score and tweet it to you. I mean, maybe what for him, it's that important. These? I mean, I, I told you today, I have to get better at social media. I'm not on there enough. So No, you don't. You're doing fine. Stay off. <laughs> the dregs of society tweeting at you that, hey, <laughs> first off, is it even a hot take to say, that the Heat likely would not prefer to play the Hawks? That's not a hot take. That's that, that's just a perspective. If you ask 50 people, I would imagine 35 of them at least would say, I would rather play the Cavs than the Hawks. I would say probably closer to 40, honestly. Whatever but... the number is. The percentage would be more than 50-50. Yes. That's just me. 
So I don't understand the hot take, one. Number two, I don't understand what kind of lives these are. That And I say, like, th- this guy comes out of the blue every once in a blue moon. And it's like, there's like there must be like a handful of things that, oh, my God, the guy on the radio doesn't get 100% of the things right that he says. Can you imagine that? Well, if you did, you wouldn't be here. You'd be in Vegas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's like... You said this and you were wrong. It's like, all right, I'm going to say things that aren't right. What are you, you keeping score? What's the score? 96 to 4? But even if it was like 80 20, you're still at 80%. I don't care if it was 50 50. You know my point. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to get it right all the time. It's just my opinion. <laughs> right? I mean, the Celtics uh, thing. Look, I don't think the Celtics are winning the NBA championship. I don't think they're going to win the NBA championship with this crew. I like Jason Tatum. I don't believe that Jason Tatum is the best player on the best team. I think he's going to be, in the end, he's going to be one of those guys that just comes up kind of short. And that doesn't mean he stinks. I just don't know that he's on that next level, is he? I think he's close. He's close. There's a lot of guys that are close, though. I think he's... I think he's in that group of guys who are looking at the guys at the next level and trying to knock on the door to get in. Doesn't mean he's going to get in. Yeah, I don't. I think their bigger problem is they don't have. They have horrible depth. They don't have the right. They don't. I don't want to say the right. They don't have a great number two. Jalen Brown's a very, very good, but I don't know that he's he, not great. I, I, and and their three. No offense to Marcus Smart, but he has limitations. Well, and they're they're not they're not very big, and in this day and age, I guess you don't have to be very big. You have to be athletic. But at some point, does that kind of catch up to you, especially in today's East, where Giannis looms? You have to figure out a way to play him, Mike. I've been saying for a while now, and I'm going to keep saying until they actually lose. Who's the team that they is going to match up well with a lineup that has Serge Ibaka, Bobby Portis, Giannis? Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. Who's the team that matches up good with that? There isn't any. Well, the Sixers a couple of years ago tried that. They tried to add Al Horford, Tobias yeah, Harris. Yeah, is way more athletic. No, I'm just saying they tried to go with the big guys and try to be the team that, hey, we're going to go really big and you're going to have to try to match up with us, and it just didn't work. Because Wait, that's because Al Horford's a stiff and he's got slow feet. He hasn't been a stiff in Boston. Well, because they use him differently. They use him as a center, That's not a true. power forward. That's true. They do use him better than uh, the you Sixers. They use Horford as a center because you got him beat. Exactly. It just was clunky. But their whole thing was they would have Horford to try to defend a Giannis so that Embiid, uh, not Embiid, so that uh, Simmons wasn't going to have to get stuck doing that. Right. So they had Horford, who was a pain in the ass, to Embiid, Embiid. and that he could have been the same for and obviously they never matched up with Milwaukee in the playoffs. It didn't work out. Uh, Tatum, though, had a great game yesterday. Uh, Horford was amazing. I mean, he was turned back the clock. He had 20 points and 15 rebounds. And Horford played 41 minutes yesterday. He, he was a big part of the reason why Drummond fouled out. Uh, I thought Marcus Smart had, I mean, the play he makes at the end of the game is the play of the game in terms of, He takes that shot in the past. High basketball IQ play. And instead of taking the shot, he's patient. He lets Tatum cut to the basket. He makes the right play. He would have forced that shot up in the past. 
But that's why you need young guys to learn how to play. They need to go to the playoffs. They yeah. need to lose. They need to suffer a little bit. I would, so they learn. I would say I just don't think Boston is deep enough. Remember They're a couple of years ago, they had all these players. They had a million. They were too deep. Right. They had too many good players, and they couldn't work out the playing time. Right, they ran out of Now minutes. I'm not sure they're deep enough. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, the Nets-Celtics series is a coin flip at this point. I think it goes seven games. The in. Nets are so short. Here's the problem. I mean, they have two great players. No, And this goes like back to the other clown. I don't want to play the Nets if I don't have to. Yeah. That doesn't mean I don't think I can beat the Nets. I'd just rather not encounter them if I don't have to. I'd rather play the Celtics than the Nets. Yeah, I'm probably torn on that at this point. The Nets are just so... Um, well, we'll see what, it, what what happens with Simmons. It's true. When he returns. But Durant... I mean, if Kyrie plays like he did yesterday, my God. And, and Durant had a terrible game yesterday. He was 9-24, and they only lost by a point. Angry Kyrie is dangerous. <laughs> that whole story. Uh, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Bob Wankel this hour talks a little Phils. They had a terrible weekend down in Miami. Nola tonight out in Colorado. This isn't the place to get yourself right. Sixers thoughts on the way. More of your text, 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Keep them coming. I'll read them off and react. Yes, even the clowns. You can send yours in, too. I'll react to those as well. Really? That's your Easter Sunday? That's what you did on Easter Sunday? I love the fact that I'm on top of your mind on your Easter Sunday, but my God. Go have some ham. Have a nice Easter dinner, buddy. I had steak and potatoes and broccoli and watched the movie with my mother. That's nice. I made a nice salmon. Okay. How'd you season it? I'll tell you later. More sports bash on the way. Now, Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, 3.30 Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Coming up, we've got another chance for you to qualify for Pick Your Trip. One lucky listener will win a trip for two to the 2022 Eagles Road Game of their choice. You'll get airfare, hotel, a pregame tailgate party, two tickets to the Eagles Road Game that you want to go to. Listen at 3.55. Sports Bash will be live at Slack Tide Brewery. For the ESPN NFL Draft Party starting at 2 on Thursday, April 28th, Slack Tie Brewery in Cape May Courthouse reminds you to always drink responsibly. All right, uh, we got a lot going on. 3.30. We'll talk to Bob Wankel in about 10 minutes from now. So Celtics win. That was a great game, right? I mean, that was an epic. I, I tweeted out yesterday that uh, this Celtics game is better than your Thanksgiving, uh, your Easter dinner, that's for sure. Probably. Definitely. It's fair. I mean, considering what some people eat sometimes, it's ridiculous, but... Yeah. I enjoyed the game. It held the dinner off. I said, we can't start dinner until this game is over right now. I don't think I had dinner until <laughs> after 8 o'clock at night, honestly. By the way, <laughs> so I got this text message. Um... He take the shot in the past. Way to steal Jay Williams' take from the morning, and you are a radio show host. Is that so? So one guy can have that observation? Like, I'm watching that game, and Marcus Smart, I said to myself, he takes that shot as I'm watching it in real time. So Tim from Galloway, 
I'm sorry. I didn't realize. First off, I'm not in the car at that time of the day. Like, if you think I'm driving in my car at whatever time, I have no idea. What time would Jay Williams have said this? At 7.30 in the morning? I don't know when he said it. <laughs> I, mean, I, didn't, I don't remember off, him saying it. Is it so. such an observation that the novice basketball fan wouldn't make himself? Marcus Smart has been known in the past to take wild shots. That's what he's known for. Right. Like, it's not, I'm sure Jay Williams is a very astute basketball mind, but Tim, a novice basketball player who has ever seen Marcus Smart, that's what he's known for. He takes wild shots. In fact, when he plays the Sixers, he takes these wild shots. They just happen to go in all the time. Whenever he plays the Sixers, he goes from, you know, Marcus Smart is not known as a great three-point shooter. No. But when he plays the Sixers, he nails them all. He all of a sudden turns into Larry Bird. So when he didn't shoot the ball yesterday, I was like, holy crap, Marcus Smart always forces that final shot. And by the way, the clock is running down. It's got like four seconds left. So I give him a ton of credit for being patient in that moment and waiting for a play to kind of develop before he just chucked one up because... Everything in our being that we remember, maybe Tim from Galloway doesn't watch a lot of Celtics games, but if you watch the Celtics play any time over the Marcus Smart era, the first inclination is Marcus Smart takes a lot of forced shots. Yeah. Fair or unfair? It's definitely fair. Yeah. I mean, come on, Tim, you're better than that. And you host your own radio show, he says. And you listen to it, apparently. Why aren't you allowed to have the same opinion as Jay Williams anyway? That's what I said. I mean, is that such a is that such a astute observation? I didn't realize it was such an astute observation. The first thing in my head was he takes that shot all the time. He forces that shot up. He forced that shot up when he was at Oklahoma State, for God's sakes. He did. He makes a really bad but shot. But against the Sixers, he makes it all the time. <laughs> What I'd like to know what Marcus Smart should what 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 is going on today? Where are all these people coming? Like, what is his shooting percentage? I'm pulling it up against the Sixers. He's I mean all those guys. Tice he's another one. Tice's three point shooting against the Sixers goes up exponentially. It feels like now. It's funny because like the first thing with Marcus Smart is he's not a great three-point shooter, right? He shoots 32% for his career. So the problem is with him, he he takes six point, uh, six threes a game, 5.9 threes a game. Five. So, again, just by me telling you how many threes he shoots a game, he's not shy about shooting them. So I'm sorry that you don't watch enough basketball that you couldn't have come up with. You needed Jay Williams to tell you that, apparently. He shoots 35% from three for his career versus the Sixers. Which is way above his average. average, Right? He's only like a 32% three-point shooter. So when he plays the Sixers, he becomes a much better three-point shooter than he is probably against almost any other team. I don't know. I don't watch him play against Dallas and Denver sometimes, I guess, when they play on TNT. But I, I wasn't aware that Marcus Smart finally not shooting the basketball, which is like a thing in itself. My God, that's all that guy does. He, he shoots the ball 32% from three, and he averages five threes a game. Like at some point you're like, all right, dude, you're not a good three-point shooter. And when that ball came out to him on that rebound, 
all I kept thinking to my actually it wasn't on the rebound. The, the somebody passed it to him. Yeah, was well, it a rebound? No, I thought it was a pass to him, and then he passed it to Tate. As soon as he caught that ball, I'm like, dude, he's shooting this thing. There's no way he's not. And then he stepped in with I, the dribble. Yeah, I was like shocked. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my god, and. Tatum, who was the – oh, Kyrie. And Kyrie just kind of, like, gave some sort of – I think Kyrie wanted to get out of the way. I think Kyrie's that, afraid to foul him. Well, I think – right. Well, of course you don't want to foul. It's a one-point game. But he almost felt like, I guess, the time, that he might run out of time. Like, what do you do in that spot as the defender? You're in a tough spot. You don't want to foul. It's a no-win situation as yeah, a defender. you're in a tough spot. But that game was outstanding. But here's what I'll say about that game to go back to uh, Boston wrong, wrong, wrong text. I still think Brooklyn might win the series. Why? They they won by a point Boston yesterday, and that's probably the worst game you're going to get from Durant. Right. There's no way he plays that bad every day. If Durant goes 9 of 24 and 1 of 5 from 3 in any other game, okay, they're going to need Durant to play like that again. Otherwise, a one-point victory isn't enough. So Horford was great yesterday. Tatum was great yesterday. Jalen Brown had a good game yesterday. Marcus Smart hit, by the way, four of nine from three yesterday. You're not getting four threes out of Marcus Smart every game, and you're not getting Durant. That first game, yes, Boston gets the win, but I leave that game saying I think Brooklyn wins that. I picked Boston to win in seven. That was my initial pick. But after the watching the game yesterday, I kind of feel like Brooklyn's going to win that series. So I'll revisit that text message at the end of this series. By the way, I don't think it's a coincidence that every play-in team struggled at points during their first games of the playoff series. Well, they should. They're not the better team. Just putting it out there. Yeah, I mean, they're, you know what, though? I like Somebody tweeted at me and said, you know, I said they got screwed by the fact they had to play 1 o'clock on, after their game. Right, the Hawks, right? Yeah. I think they should be put in a lousy situation. You're a play-in team. Right. You barely got in. The one seat should have some advantage. I like that. Sports Bash, Bob Wankel's going to join me. Talk a little fills. We'll do some Eagles in the 4 o'clock hour. Football is for Adam Kaplan's here today. Paul Hudrick on the Sixers tonight at 440. Stick around. More Sports Bash on the way. Now, back to Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. I right, hope everybody had a nice Easter yesterday. We're back on a Monday. Sixers tonight. You can hear the game on 97.3 ESPN. Coverage at 7, tip at 7.30. Tom McGinnis on the call here on 97.3 ESPN. Another chance for you to qualify in about 12 minutes from now. Bob Wankel crossing broad. The Phillies did play this weekend. The one game nobody saw, they actually won. And uh, the other games were a disaster, uh, as they seem to be, against the Marlins. And until you beat the Marlins, Bob Wankel, it's the same old Phillies for me. I don't care. You can keep changing the de- the chairs on the Titanic here if you want. But until you figure out a way to show me that you can take care of that team, I can't put any trust in you. Yeah, it's a different team. It's a different cast of characters, a team that you probably should feel a little bit better about. But 
It was the same old story down in Miami this past weekend. Phillies lose three out of four. And listen, I think that my biggest takeaway from this is that you can't get overly upset about what you watch across the first 10 games of a season. There's only three teams in Major League Baseball right now that have at least seven wins. So, you know, everybody's kind of jumbled up in that 500 range, give or take a game. But because you watched what you watched in 2020 and in 2021, it's hard not to be a little bit annoyed by what occurred this weekend if you're a Phillies fan. That coupled with, here we are, however many games in, they've already changed the lineup, the leadoff hitter's getting moved, this guy's here, that guy went from five to two. They haven't had the same lineup, I don't think, two days in a row. They haven't had the same lineup, I don't think, replicated once the whole season. Uh, that, to me, again, it's like, here we go again. They don't have a leadoff hitter. Well, let's move him from lead. Give these guys a chance to settle in. Yeah, I agree with you. And listen, I mean, I will not start slamming a panic button probably until about the 25th game, you know, unless they just completely fall off a cliff here and they start the season, you know, seven and 14 or something like that. But that being said, you know, you look and it's hard not to be concerned about two things that really just jump off the page at me when you're starting to look a little bit deeper into the statistics. Right now, everybody knows that center field was an issue for this team last season. Odubel Herrera came up and, and I guess made it quasi-respectable for a while, and that's not really saying much uh, because he didn't exactly have a, a banner 2021 himself. But listen to this. I mean, right now, Philly center fielders this season through 10 games are hitting 077 with a 282 OPS. I mean, it's horrible. And then you look at the leadoff spot, which they go out, and, you know, one of the things that we thought here was that Kyle Schwarber, though he's not the prototypical leadoff guy in terms of speed, you have that power on base combination, and that was kind of the prevailing wisdom about why they went out and got him. Well, here we are now, less than two weeks into the season, he's out of the leadoff spot, and Philly's leadoff men this year are hitting 0.98 with a 3.91 OPS. Horrible. Really bad. And... I get, listen, all right, so this is, this is, this is the epitome of the Phillies fans, right? Boehm sucks. You got to get rid of this Boehm. You got to trade him. <laughs> He's got seven hits and 10 at bats or something like that. Now everybody loves Boehm. He says, I got to get that bleep out of this place. I hate it. And they love him all of a sudden. Now he's got to play every day. Now, that being said, you can't play him every day because he can't field. You have too many DHs. You can't even get them there. How do they incorporate him? What, what happens here? Should they? Should they be playing him more often? Has he earned that? Or can people earn something in 10 games? I don't really think so. I mean, listen, Johan Camargo's done an okay job. I understand that people want to see Alec Boehm. You know, he does his public apology last Monday, and now everybody's a number one Alec Boehm fan. But prior to that apology, and had he not said anything at all, and his defense just spoke for itself, Nobody would want to see Alec Boehm. You know, I think I really do think that that post-game apology and him owning up to it after what we've watched with Carson Wentz and Ben Simmons in recent years, lack of accountability. I, I understand why people are rooting for him suddenly, but he has not earned the right to play every single day. Now, has he earned the right to take more at-bats than he has this season? Maybe. The problem is, is that the Phillies basically employ three different designated hitters ahead of Alec Boom in Nick Castellanos and in, in Kyle Schwarber and in Reese Hoskins. And I feel like every time you and I get together and talk, Reese Hoskins comes up. And I'll say two really nice things about Reese Hoskins right now. Number one, he's top five in hard hit percentage. 
this season. And he's also top five in terms of overall exit velocity. Great. What does that mean? It means he's getting his barrel to the ball. He's hitting it hard. Fantastic. But you watched the game yesterday. They have a guy picked off early in that game. Zach Wheeler struggling dead out at first base. He drops a ball chest high on the tag. Man stays on, ends up scoring, leading to more runs. Game gets out of control. And I'm not blaming Reese Hoskins in, you know, the, its entirety, you know, of what happened yesterday, but he's not a first baseman. He's, he's a substandard first baseman defensively. So you've got three other guys at DH basically. Where is Alec Bone getting these at bats until he shows you that he can field a ground ball on a routine basis? Right. That's the problem. Like you, you just pointed out there is that they have so many DHs, not enough places to play them on, not enough places to hide them, I guess. And of those guys, I don't think there's an argument. Bohm is the worst defensively. Yeah. And listen, I mean, what happens is this. You have an offense that overall is not doing what it's supposed to do. And so you start kind of grasping for straws. And Alec Boom is the straw that everybody's grasping for right now. But the Phillies issues right now are fairly simple. They're not able to pair quality starting pitching with a, a top to bottom productive offense. And until that happens, you can blame the manager who has not been very good. You know, I, I would be the first to tell you that. And you can blame the Phillies for playing Johan Camargo and, and all of these other things. But they have bigger problems right now than Al Boom not being on the field every night, for sure. There's no question about that. Uh, and you should mention, look, uh, 10 games into a season, you can't sit here and label a team. Like, uh, you know, uh, do we think that all of a sudden Bryce Harper went from MVP to a 125 hitter? No, that's preposterous. Uh, you know, Schwarber... Is not off to a good start. Well, if you go back and historically look at his April and May, he has not been a good starting. Last year, I think he hit 210. I think I saw somebody tweet for the yeah. first two months of the season and still made the all-star game. So these guys are going to get hot up and down. But, you know, it's the early season panic button that the manager seems to be pushing. That's what concerns me. Yeah, the lineup shuffles are, I think, a little bit problematic. I don't know exactly what message that sends to players in the clubhouse. I don't know what the buy-in necessarily is. Well, what did Harper say yesterday when he was asked about it? He didn't. He said, "Oh, two. Oh. He's, well, he's the boss. I'll do it." You right. know. But if you look at Bryce Harper historically, uh, not very. You know, you look at one through five where he's hitting the lineup, and two hole. I think he's only done it thirty-seven games in his career, but. The lowest productivity in terms of OPS, uh, and it's not even really close. So, yeah, I don't know how, uh, you know, ready he is to say after 10 games, oh, I really want to hit in the two hole. But, you know, I get Joe Girardi kind of looking to say, we got to spark this offense. We have to do something, but it just sends it in an interesting message. And I, I don't know that I'm on board with it. Yeah, by the way, Camargo, people are, like, complaining about him or whatever. I mean, he's actually swung a decent bat. It's not like he's been an automatic out, uh, right? I mean, he's uh, yeah, been I mean, half decent. Gregory, Dee's the one guy, I guess, you wonder what how long's the leash with him. But it doesn't help that Stott got off to a hot start, and now he's struggled a little bit. But, again, it goes back to people like Stott. Well, he's struggling, too. It's 10 games. Relax, everyone. Yeah, and that's what I keep coming back to. I mean, like, listen, I get it. I grew up as a fan. I, I'm an Eagles fan. I'm crazy. Like, week one of the NFL season, third quarter, if things aren't going right, I'm going to be like, what is this? What's going on? And, like, it's it's okay to be frustrated and, and be upset and be concerned by what you've watched through three series. But you just – I would just – caution you if you're looking to make these sweeping generalizations that this team stinks, they're going nowhere, it's the same old Phillies, maybe, but just – Deep breath, deep breath. We'll see. Well, my bigger thing would be I'm not worried about Harper or Schwarber or the lineup. It's until you figure out 
how to finally get over that hurdle to beat a team that you should beat, like the Marlins. That is worrisome to me because you got beat by the Mets, all right? Now they're better than you are. Now you're getting beat by the Marlins again. You can't. They've, they've won the season series against you three years in a row. For God's sake, they won 57 games three years ago and beat you 10 times. If the Phillies would have lost three out of four to pretty much any other team in the sport this past weekend, <laughs> I do think people would have been annoyed. But the fact that it's this Marlins team, yes. and this Marlins team is better than what it was last year, uh, probably significantly so. But the fact that it's the Marlins. And one of the things that we had talked about, and great take by me, as it turns out, so these guys like Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber, they're going to bring a different energy to the clubhouse. And they're not going to let this happen, right? Like th- this, this malaise that has kind of been in this clubhouse for the last couple of years. They're going to be the kind of guys that say, "Absolutely not, we're not going to allow this to happen." And you know, well, yeah. that didn't that didn't work out this weekend. Doesn't well, mean it won't work out moving forward, but this past weekend, not so much. Now that being said, I mean, you got a terrible outing from Wheeler. Um, I don't want to say is there a legit concern, but uh, when you look at him, he doesn't seem to be near the guy he was a year ago. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, just to kind of put this in perspective, you probably heard a little bit about the fastball velocity, velocity and sinker, about three miles per hour overall down right now. If you look at his first start against the Braves of the 2021 season, it was game two. He averaged 97.7 miles per hour with his four-seam fastball. Yesterday, he maxed out at 95.7. So his max velocity yesterday on that fastball was two miles an hour less than what his average fastball was this time last year. And you say, like, well, we're not talking about the guy throwing 87 miles an hour. You know, it's not like he has no velocity here. But that's, a you know, three miles per hour is a, a fairly sizable difference. And you, you talk about the delayed spring training. He's a little bit behind. He hasn't ramped up yet. Okay, that's fair. But at what point do we say, well, now we, we get to judge it? And so I would say start four, start five. If you're looking at this decreased velocity still, I do think that that is cause for concern. Um, that and the starting pitching. I mean, Ranger Suarez, I mean, they only pitch once. You're going to get the third time from NOLA today. My expectations are low. Pitching in Denver is not the place to be like, hey, let's see if you can turn it around. But the Suarez start, all right, he hasn't had a lot of spring, so I'll hold judgment there. Eflin is what he is. Gibson, same thing. You need Wheeler to be <laughs> the guy, he close to the guy he was last year, if you have any ideas of being in this thing. Absolutely. And, I mean, it really comes down to, uh, you know, Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, who you're going to see tonight. And, you could talk about the first start all you want. Oh, he looked good early, and then he ran out of gas, 67, 68 pitches. But there was a lot of positives that you can take away from and build on. Okay. Then he goes out his last time out, and it was was bad. I mean, he was, he was bad Terrible. his last time out. And now that kind of brings us to tonight. Now what, right? I mean, one of the things that I'm, I'm kind of getting a little bit tired of, and I feel like that Aaron Nola is a little bit divisive in this way. It was either you think he's a legitimate ace, or if you were kind of down on him back in 2019, 2020, you're like, at, at worst, though, he's a number two. Well, now I think we're starting to trend towards this. Is he is he a number two, or is he more like a number three, number four? And I know there's p- probably people listening to this right now going, come on, man, Aaron Nola's a, a really good top-of-the-rotation arm. And I would say he can be. 
But one of the things I'm kind of getting tired on uh, or tired of is reading these deep dives. And I was guilty of this. I, I've written this piece before about, you know, hey, Aaron Noel is actually pitching a lot better than his numbers suggest. Well, at some point, you, you just have to go do it. You know, it doesn't matter that your expected ERA is a run and a half lower than what your true ERA is. At some point, you need to be the guy, get the ball, yeah. and do it. And that has just not happened now. Really for, I would say, going back to September of 2020, have you really felt 100% lock? Aaron Knowles got the ball tonight. He's going to shove. Yeah. They're going to win. And I don't think that anyone feels like that about him right now, probably his teammates included. Phillies in uh, Colorado play the Rockies. We'll see if... Uh... They can make us feel warm and fuzzy tomorrow. Uh, did you watch the Saturday? Were you uh, on uh, NBC? Yeah, I was one of the uh, 914 people who streamed Saturday's game over the Sixers. Uh, so I had both going on, you know, but uh, it was a nice night. I was uh, outside, outdoors, taking yeah. in both games. So it was, That's right. You know, I had the Sixers yeah. on outside, and then through my living room window, Phillies were on the stream <laughs> inside, so I could see through the window. Yeah, so if you are just a regular cable viewer and you've been watching the Phillies, you've seen them win exactly one game since last Monday. So it's been really. (laughs) All right, Bob. Talk to you, pal. All right, man. Bob Waggle Crossing Broad covers the Phillies. Kind enough to join us here. Phillies tonight, uh, 8.30 start, 8.40, something like that, out out in uh, Colorado. All right, it's time. I need caller 7 right now, 609-573-3776, 609-573-3776. That's the number. Caller 7, you'll be qualified to win a trip for two to the 2022 Eagles road game of your choice, which includes airfare, hotel stay, a pregame tailgate party, and two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. You must be present to win at Slack Tie Brewing Company. It's all courtesy of Philly Sports Trips. Do Philly Sports Trips. With the pros, plan your Philly sports trips at phillysportstrips.com. And it's brought to you by Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. They'll be bringing some food by that day at Slack Tie Brewing Company. So come hungry and come with a chance to win an Eagles road trip. The Eagles road game of your choice. Pick your trip. It's back. Caller 7. Good luck. Now. Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, time for today's headlines. We'll see what's going on. We're getting close to the draft. We've got another chance for you to qualify for Pick Your Trip. Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Josh Henning is my producer. What do we got today, Josh? Mike, I still can't get over this news that came out earlier today about Denzel Ward the Browns cornerback. Now, I know somebody out there is sitting in their car or listening on the app at home and is like, wait, Denzel Ward who? Yeah, the Browns cornerback is now the highest paid corner in NFL history. A $20.1 million average annual salary puts him ahead of Jalen Ramsey. The 24-year-old is getting a five-year deal with $71.25 million guaranteed. He was the fourth pick a couple years ago. I mean, so... It's not like he's a, it was a stiff, but yeah, I, I was pretty stunned when I saw he got seventy one point two million guaranteed. That's the number that jumped out. The five year hundred million. Okay, where's the seventy one million guaranteed money? Crazy. Now, can I give you another layer though? Sure. The Browns have now given out over three hundred million dollars in guaranteed money to three players in the last couple of years. My lord, Deshaun Watson. 
Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett. Yeah, I mean, look, he is the best player in their secondary. Easily. He's very well-rounded. He's good in run stoppage as a corner. He's also, uh, you know, he's not a lockdown Jalen Ramsey corner. He's solid. He's not a great cover guy. But I think it's overpay. Don't get me wrong. But they wanted to keep one of their own. It's just crazy. Absolutely crazy to me. Just I'm looking at that number, so I'm just like, I can't believe. Football contracts are tough, though. You see the $100 million and you're like, what? Well, that's why I said the $71 million guarantee. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. You see the 100 and you're like, what? The whole contract structure of the NFL is getting whacked. The wide receivers, they're all going to hold out now. Somebody texts it in. If Jalen Hurts plays well this season, he will do the same thing as these wide receivers. Most players who outperform their rookie contract, they want an extension before the last year of the contract is completed. I was doing, I was a... I was on uh, Birds 365 as a guest like two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And the question that they asked me was the same thing. Hertz is going to want a contract extension. If he plays well this year, a contract extension for a middle of the road. Keep in mind, Jalen Hertz made the Pro Bowl last year. He's a Pro Bowl quarterback. A middle-of-the-road Pro Bowl guy is getting paid $30 million a year. You're going to want to give Jalen Hurts a $30 million a year contract. But what the market asks for it, what are you going to do? That's, exa- that's my point. There's a plus and the minus of hitting on a guy in the middle to late rounds. Is You have him at a discount for a couple of years, but you only control him for four years, not five. So then you have to pay him earlier. And typically, earlier than they get to that last year, they want to get paid. So three years into that deal, you have to kind of pony up. Did you see this news about the latest edition of the match on TNT? No, who is it? This will be the first time the match will not feature any professional golfers. Okay. It will be Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers together this time versus Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. They're marketing wow. as the old guard versus the new guard in a 12-hole exhibition that will take place June 1st on TNT. Okay, not bad. I mean, I haven't really watched any of the other matches, so... I've watched almost every single one. I can't say that I'm going to be locked in here. Does there not being any golfers involved change the interest at all for you? Not necessarily. I mean, I'll watch the Masters, and if it's like... I'm not locked in the whole weekend. I'm not there Thursday, Friday. Like, I'm not giving up my Phillies tickets to watch the Masters. I could keep... I could watch on my phone... So I don't need to be in front of the TV for big golf events or stuff like that. I was in a golf phase like a couple of years ago. And then I kind of got back out of it. I don't know why. I mean, I still enjoy it. I'm not like an anti-golf. I just, yeah, you know. No, this doesn't do much for me. By the way, the match presented by Capital One has raised over $33 million over the last five editions for charity. Not bad. Good Good job. Good for them, right? Very good job. In all of our Sixers talk today, we didn't touch on the coaches had to say after the game. Apparently, this is a hot news item in the sports world outside of our area, but maybe not as much in our area. So Nick Nurse basically went on the record after the game Saturday night going after the referees. 
basically saying that some of those fouls. Yeah. Yeah. They got away with some offensive fouls, Nick Nurse is saying. Well, you got to you, you, you plant that seed, right? You plant the seed and see if it sticks tonight. And then Doc countered with, I thought they got fouled every time. Nick Nurse's quote I love the best is, I don't care if you're five foot eleven and 160 pounds, you beat him to the spot and he runs it over. It's a foul. The NBA refs are atrocious. <laughs> They're just so... And we say this in all sports. It's specifically football and basketball, where the speed of the game is just too much. Basketball is they make egregiously bad calls. Egregiously bad. Football, there's some egregiously bad calls. But basketball, it's almost it's I'm embarrassed for them sometimes. The stuff that they miss, that they call, oh you did you you did this, or I saw this. And it's the replay. And I get it. We're watching the replay. They're watching it in real time. There has to be a way to be able to quickly. We can see it in real time to fix it. They should be able to have like something on their wrist that they can see the replay sent right to them when they make that. It's those plays where you're like, the guy takes a shot, the guy falls down, and he never hit him. That happened in the game. Milwaukee was playing Chicago last night, and who was the who was doing the color commentary for that game? And he, Ian Eagle was like, he said, "Oh, uh, Zach Levine hit the weight room because he like kind of barely touched onto the Kupo, and onto right. the Kupo went falling down, and they called a foul." Was that Jim Jackson? It might have been, and and he said, "Oh, he really hit the weight room." And Ian Eagle was like, "Yeah, I caught what you're saying there." And he's like, "No, really, I think he did," but like, I, who knows? but I'm like. Call is just so bad. So bad. I tweeted on like two or different occasions this weekend how bad the officiating was. So I'm going to go a little off the beaten path with this story because to me, this story is bonkers. Now, you know how much I love MMA. So you may or may not have heard of the organization called Bellator. Bellator is probably the number yeah, three. I may or may not have heard. Well, you know, but maybe the regular audience out there I'm talking to may not know. But they're basically the number three MMA organization. They had an event on Friday night, and there was a controversial ending. The Anderson versus Nemkov fight was ruled a no contest. Well, Anderson, who assumed he was going to win the fight because of how the fight went, but some bogus judging apparently stole a million dollars from him. Wow. Anderson told ESPN on Monday he was told by multiple people inside the cage that he had beaten Nemkov to win the title. Of course, I don't know where they got that information from. And apparently Bellator had told him before the fight that if he won the fight, he was guaranteed the million dollar prize no matter what. Anderson was then informed by referee and former fighter Frank Trigg the bout was actually ruled a no contest and that Anderson would leave empty-handed. <laughs> this is uh, almost WWE. This was the second very controversial ruling from the night at Bellator, where another fight earlier in the night, McKee versus uh, Patrico Pitbull was ruled for Pitbull even though the other fighter outstruck him significantly. So just a... <laughs> so... 
How is Bellator still going? Who's watching this? Well, they're still going because they're owned by Viacom. And Viacom is just pouring money into it. Jeez. And Scott Coker, the the guy who is the kind of like the, the ringleader, he's the Dana White of them. He's he's a good salesman. I got to give him credit. He's a very good salesman. The Not guy, good enough sales. I, I, I heard nothing about Bellator fights this weekend. Well, Corey Anderson lost out a million dollars. By the way, Corey Anderson left the UFC with the intent of winning this million dollars. Now he walks away with a no contest, no million dollars, <laughs> and everybody's wondering, well, what's next for Corey Anderson? <laughs> Jeez. So you said Bellator is now number three? Yeah, I put them at three. A couple reasons. One, because the viewership's not as high as the other two organizations. And two, because realistically the money they have is because who their owner is, not because of their advertisers. Like, UFC, we all think of UFC. UFC is a, a monster, right? But PFL has got money because they have a crazy amount of advertisers and they have more television viewers. Well, like, UFC is similar. Like, when when you talk about MMA, you don't even say MMA. Typically, you just say UFC. Right. You just associate that sport with that organization. Similar to, like, I know AEW is pretty popular, but when you think of wrestling... You still say WWE. I would say WWE is like UFC, and then AEW is like PFL MMA. And then Bellator is like the USFL stuff you saw this weekend. You watch any? No. I had it on. Like, between games, I put it on. They got screwed a little bit by the one-day game had a weather delay yesterday. I frankly actually completely forgot tonight, about Monday it. Monday night football tonight. I completely forgot about it. I, I mean, I had the basketball in the Phillies, and I spent some time with my mom. The, the football's not good. It wasn't good. But my my joke over the weekend was: is whatever game Jeff Fitcher is coaching, bet the other way. Yeah, they they were terrible. They had uh, Shea Patterson and Paxton Lynch were his two quarterbacks. He had Patterson started the game. He benched him, put Lynch in. Lynch threw an interception. He benched him and brought <laughs> Patterson back. By the way, two former Eagles are in the league. Three. Well, there's Kyle Oletta. There's Clay Thorsten. Clayton Thorsten. Now, you said two, and I said three. And now, you said as if you were explaining to me. I'm no, telling I, you there's a I'm, third guy. I'm telling the audience what I know. Now, you can tell me what you know. The third, well, Clayton Thorsten. He was right. a fifth-round He was round drafted pick, by North, the Eagles. Northwestern. Kyle Oletta, he played with the Giants and then the Eagles. I don't think he was ever he was on the practice, practice squad, squad guy for a year. And, oh, who was the other guy? I saw him playing. I'll have to think of it. I saw him play, and I said, oh, he was on the Eagles. hope it's not A.J. Feely. <laughs> A.J. Feely? Why would he be in there? I have no idea. He's just the most random you like to think off the top of my head. I'm trying to think who the other guy was. So, uh, Loletto's the other one, and there's one other guy. I remember him very briefly with the Eagles. He's, I think he's a backup in the USFL, to be fair. I think I saw him on the sideline. You saw him chilling? All right, uh, we'll talk some Sixers on the other side. Paul Hudrick, what does he expect from the Sixers tonight? Will they make any more tweaks? What does he think the Raptors will do as far as adjustments? That's next. Now, that Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, big Monday, game two tonight, right here on 97.3 ESPN Sports Fest, brought to you by AC Airport. Plan your next vacation now. Create memories to last a lifetime. 
Start with nonstop flight from Atlantic City to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami. Book your low-cost flight at spirit.com. Paul Hudrick's here from Liberty Ballers as the uh, Sixers look very impressive in game number one. What adjustments does Paul anticipate happening? Because I guess they're going to have to do something different than they did with Maxi. although I think a lot of that was because they put so much attention on Embiid and Harden. For sure. And not only that, Nick Nurse has to make those adjustments while being down, you know, at least one very key player and potentially two others. And that's Toronto's already a team that's not not loaded with depth. So to lose potentially three guys is enormous for them. And, and yeah, Mike, it's an excellent point. Like you can talk about trying to slow down Tyrese Maxey, but as you mentioned, with the attention that Joel Embiid gets, with the attention that James Harden gets, and the way that the Raptors play, like the way they attack, the way they they choose to scramble, that's the way they want to play. Well, if you're going to do that, Maxi is a 40% three-point shooter, and he's the fastest guy on the court. So kind of pick your poison. It, you know, if, if you want to get out to him and try to close out on him aggressively, he's going to blow right by it. If you're not fast enough to close out, he's just going to shoot it and hit it. So um, if he play, he doesn't have well, listen, he doesn't have to average 38 points, but um, there's a very strong possibility he could average easily over 20 in this series. I think you and I talked about it before, Mike. This feels like it could be kind of his coming out party because – Nick Nurse's number one priority always against Joel Embiid is get the ball out of Joel Embiid's hands. And now you're seeing when Joel Embiid is patient and when he accepts that, like he even said the other night, he's not getting frustrated by it. He realizes, okay, the double team's coming. Don't turn it over. Find the open guy. And when he plays like that, he doesn't have to score 30, 40 points. He just needs to do that and let the other guys do their job because there are shots open. There are lanes open for other players on the court. Well, I would imagine if you're Nick Nurse, you might say, hey, I'm going to roll the dice again and see if the secondary guys can have another night. If we go down 2-0, we're going back home. They don't get Thibel, although he wasn't a huge factor in the game. But I'd rather take my shot that Maxi gets 38 again. And how about uh, Tobias with 20? That might have been the best Tobias game all around that he's had. Uh, certainly since James Harden's been here, I would say 100%. Uh, and in a playoff atmosphere, I thought he was just – he was decisive. He was aggressive. He was really physical too, which I feel like one of the things – one of the biggest things I think as a team in the last two matchups against the Raptors, I just thought the Raptors played 100 miles an hour and they were way more physical. Uh, I thought from the opening tip, the Sixers were the much, much more physical basketball team I think you saw it with Joel Embiid. I think he had like seven rebounds in the first seven minutes um, and really was really all over the offensive glass. Uh, and same with Tobias. I thought Tobias played really aggressive, played really hard and physical. And I also think that's another uh, byproduct of when you – the way you play Embiid, if you're going to do that and you're going to let other guys try to beat you, um, then when you're in scramble mode, how do you – then you still have to box out Joel Embiid on the offensive glass. So I think in a weird way, the Sixers are almost kind of using – because they won – the offensive rebounding advantage, and they won the transition advantage. And I think, you know, obviously turning the basketball over, not turning the basketball over, I should say, is a huge part of that. But, um, yeah, I just think Tobias Harris, that was emblematic of the Sixers just playing a much, much, much more physical brand of basketball, and they are clearly the bigger, stronger, more physical team. So when they do that, they're going to be in really good shape. And the number that stood out for me for Harris was six assists, was that you mentioned decisive. When he got the ball, catch and shoot. When it wasn't the right spot for him, he got rid of it. And he, you know, they they were scrambling, but he was 
making that extra pass instead of saying, hey, I'll shoot it from the corner. No, here, you take it, get an even better looks. And a lot of that was predicated, I thought, Paul, on the, the, the patience that Harden had. He was lulling defenders to try to come help, and as soon as they snuck over, he whipped it. I mean, he had a very patient uh, 14 assists. For sure, and I think that's what's so what makes James Harden great is, um, especially at this point in his career, he doesn't have to score 30, 40 points to make an enormous impact of the game. I think, especially, you know, there was one point in the third quarter, I've seen other people talk about this, and it was. It was a huge point in the game where Toronto was making a little bit of a run. I think they got it within, like, like almost 10, I think. And then Harden scores five straight points and then gets another, and then gets a, a really big assist on a drive. And it's like, that's that's really what you need for James Harden, right? Like, you don't need him to score, to me at least, you don't need him to score 30, 40 points. You need him to run the offense, run the half-court sets, find the open guy, 14 assists. I mean, that's – and they weren't, like, garden variety, oh, this guy's wide open. and he, No, like, he created those assists. I thought two plays in particular I remember vividly where he had a guy one-on-one iso. He had a mismatch against the big. And look, for sure, like, he was going to take that step back and instead, at the last second, just whipped it over to a wide-open guy for a three. Uh, one was Tobias and one was Tyrese Maxey, and both guys hit it. And I, I just think, like, he controls the game in the half court. And the Sixer, with all due respect to Ben Simmons, that's not what Ben Simmons did. Even when Ben Simmons was at his best, it was more about transition and more about setting. Like, but James Harden in the half court creates offense for others, and I think – you know, if he's not going to score, he has to do that. But I think you're seeing the difference that makes, um, especially in the postseason. All right. So if um, there's a lot of here because Embiid has only 19, he's not a huge factor in the game. We mentioned Harden had 22. He had the 14 assists. So you had Maxi uh, five of eight. You had a big three point shooting night from Harris. I don't know that you're getting the same shooting nights out of those guys. Um, so we, we kind of hinted at it. If you're Nick Nurse, do you have an adjustment or do you say, no, we're going to go with the same exact idea and see if those guys can hit 50% from three? No, I, I 100% think it's the same strategy. It's, it's get the ball out of Joel Embiid's hands. And I don't, I don't think that's going to change at any point in this series. Uh, that, that's going to be what Nick Nurse does. And I get it. I, I think that's, if you're any NBA team, I, I always find it foolish when teams don't employ, deploy that strategy. Like, well, this guy's arguably the best player on the planet right now. He's so dominant physically and so skilled. Why even let him touch it? Um, you know, if you can help it. Uh, and then it just is. It's just, it's incumbent on Maxie and Harris. But listen. Two tonight, 730 right here on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Sixers are a seven-point favorite in that game. That number has jumped up a little bit as well. So it seems like the odds makers agree uh, as well. All right, Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers at Paul Hudrick on Twitter. And, of course, get all their coverage on Game 2 tonight over at LibertyBallers.com. Paul, take care, bud. You as well, Mike. Thanks. All right, Paul's back on Wednesday to uh, recap this one and get you ready for Game number 3. But first... Looking for caller number seven. We're running out of spots for our Eagles draft party. 609-573-3776. Caller number seven. You must be present to win at Slack Tide Brewing Company with your opportunity to win a trip for two to the 2022 Eagles road game of your choice. 
It includes airfare, hotel, a pregame tailgate party, and two tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice. If we pick your name next Thursday, you tell us which Eagles road game you want to attend. It's all thanks to Philly Sports Trips. Plan your next Philly trip at phillysportstrips.com and Ernest and Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. They'll be having food at Slack Tie Brewing next Thursday for the draft party. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Sixes with Hardwood and bust to Maxie. Into the lane, Maxie. What a layup. What a play. It's the playoff and a brilliant pass. Uh, that was Tom McGinnis on the Harden outlet skip pass to Maxie. Reverse layup. Thing of beauty. Harrison Ocean City, congratulations. You're a qualifier. You have a chance to win an Eagles road trip. We'll do one more chance at 555 tonight. Maxi, monster game. Can he repeat it? Will the Raptors let him or will they say, hey, if you can do that again, go for it? 38 points. Most in a playoff opener by a sixer player since Allen Iverson, 2003. 21-year-old Max is the youngest sixer to score 30 or more points in a playoff game. And he exceeded his playoff production from 12 games last season in most categories in just one game. Can he do it again? We shall see. The big question is, can Tobias Harris do it again? But are Harris and Maxi the biggest concerns for the Raptors? Let's find out. Michael Grange covers the Raptors Sportsnet. In Canada, as the Raptors and Sixers renew their rivalry game two tonight here on 97.3 ESPN. You can hear that game starting at 7.30. Michael, welcome aboard, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's good to have you to uh, give us a little insight because, obviously, we were a little surprised at how that game went. Uh, Here's the question, I guess, is does Nick Nurse say, does he have an adjustment here, or does he say, hey, Shake your hand. You beat us with Maxie and Harris. Let's see if you can do it again. We're just simply not going to let you beat us with Embiid and Harden. I mean, that's certainly Nick Nurse's pattern, is he has always been a guy, regular season playoffs, he's always been willing to sell out on stars. And going right back to the championship year, that was their approach with uh, Joel Embiid in round two, if you remember, that was their approach with Giannis Antetokounmpo in the conference finals, and that was their approach with Steph Curry in the finals. They they will allow uh, secondary players, so-called, to have their shot or shots. And um, so I don't think he's going to turn away from that strategy all of a sudden. Um, you know, I think they're happy relatively with what they were able to do with Embiid and Harden. And when they look at the production that Philly got from their secondary guys, and obviously Maxie and, and uh, Tobias Harris, I think when they look at the tape, they say, you know what, we we just didn't execute well enough on those guys. Like, we were willing to let them have something, just not everything. So I think they're just going to, the first thing they're going to do is, is before they throw out the game plan is go, can we execute this game plan better? And uh, and we'll see where that takes us in game two. Yeah, Michael, how much uh, do you look back and say, hey, if you're going to hit 50%, doesn't matter what we do from three, uh, that's a tough day for us to win. I mean, if you get those looks and hit them again, tip of the cap. Uh, so were they happy with that? It's just that the Sixers made shots? 
I think, you know, the, the reaction after the game and then again, you know, out of practice yesterday was even more emphatic in a way. Like, certainly the Raptors didn't play a perfect game. They, they, there's a lot of examples where they just were a little sluggish on their coverages and they paid a high price. But, you know, when you look at what the Sixers did, I think it's uh, on record as the third most efficient offensive performance in playoff history, or at least going back to 1986 when they tracked a lot of this data. It was just an outstanding performance from multiple angles. And, you know, if the Sixers are going to play like that, they're going to beat everybody, right? So I think, um, you know, that that's not letting the Raptors, they're not letting themselves off the hook. they got to play a lot better. I think one... Uh, thing that it's sort of a little thing, but I think it really did set a bit of a tone early on was when Fred Van Vliet, who picked up two fouls in 58 seconds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for people who may or may not be that familiar with Fred Van Vliet, he is, and I'll encourage people to watch tonight, he is one of the best off ball defenders in the NBA. And, and he's great on the ball. He's an outstanding defender in every category. But his specialty is he is just brilliant at timing when to leave his guy or when to come with a late double or get his hands in on the ball uh, on a Joel Embiid, whoever it might be. And he's, he leads the NBA in deflections. He's in the top five in steals. He's just uncanny, and he does it without fouling. And I think when he picked up those two fouls early, it really forced him to be very passive compared to his standard, and I think he sets the tone. I don't think. I know he sets the tone for the Raptors defensively, and I think that really, I'm not saying that was the difference in the game, but it definitely was, you know, had the Raptors out their back foot early. Michael Greens covers the Raptors Sportsnet in Canada. Now, you tweeted earlier, the Sixers can't play that well again. Can they? Probably not. How does that change with Scotty Barnes definitively being out? Likely Trent and maybe, you know, uh, Thaddeus Young still out as well. That's, you know, there's a team that's not deep to begin with now loses possibly three guys tonight. Yeah, that's a big problem. And, um, you know, it's certainly, uh, you're right. I mean, the Raptors, they have a thin margin of error at the best of times. Like they're a dangerous team when they have their top seven guys playing well and they're shooting well and, you know, they can, they can, they're a problem. But, um, all of a sudden the top seven guys is the top four. And, uh, you saw how well Scotty Barnes played in his first playoff game. Gary Trent Jr., you know, he certainly didn't bring it. He was sick is the word. And Thad Young has been a, he would have been a logical person to put, start in place of Scotty Barnes. He just brings a little bit of everything, much like Scotty Barnes does. So, um, you know, I'm not saying it's over, but, but the Raptors have shown an ability to win with a variety of lineups. Um, you know, when they did beat the Sixers, what, three out of four times this year, it was without Van Vliet and Ananobi. So, um, they're accustomed to, you know, playing without key guys, but it's, they're going to need something special from, uh, Pascal Siakam from OG Ananobi. I think it's going to have to, he played well. He's going to have to really have a really big game, big series for this to, uh, to go beyond anything other than four or five games right now. Yeah. Michael, I'm interested to hear your perspective. I'll tell you here, a lot of people were worried about this Raptors team. They just seem to constantly be a pain. Uh, they don't have that guy that maybe stands out. Siakam's very good. Van Vliet's very good. They don't have that like superstar level guy, but they're a pain. And it was almost like an afterthought that they would get matched up with Philadelphia. And then the last week of the year, it's like, wait a second. Uh, and then of course the Raptors win the game, uh, with like two weeks left in the season. And then you get matched up. So people here were legitimately concerned about this matchup 
when Toronto saw that Philly, how was it received up there that this was going to be the first round matchup? I had Phil, I had Raptors in six, <laughs> you know, and that's not that's not disrespecting Philly. I mean, it's evident that they have a load of talent on that team. I just thought that uh, you know the one thing that's been consistent uh, in these matchups you talk about is it almost doesn't matter the personnel the Raptors have had. They've been able to frustrate Joel Embiid. Going, obviously, with you got Mark McSall and Serge Ibaka, um, as they did in 2019, that's that's a big problem. But, you know, ever since that series, you know, Joel's been kind of, his numbers against the Raptors are significantly worse than they are against the rest of the league, and even this season again. So I thought that they, they have a game plan. They believe in that game plan. And, you know, I think with the size they have through their lineup, they have, you know, the tools to at least contain that Harden and B pick and roll. Doesn't say you're going to lock that down, but I think they could approach it with a little bit of confidence because it'd be harder for Harden to kind of pick and choose his matchup. Um, but, you know, now they're coming in a little bit shorthanded and, and, and Philly's obviously on a roll, so the picture changes a little bit. I think, uh, you know, I would expect that Gary Trent Jr., if he's out tonight, he's not going to be out for much longer in this series. We'll see with uh, Thad Young if that thumb, and he's a lefty and it's a left thumb, so that's not ideal. But, you know, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that's going to keep you out uh, for a series. Um, But they got to, you know, and then the other element, as you guys well know, is Philly, who's not particularly deep. They're coming to Toronto without Matisse Teibel. So that's, that's another element. So... Um, you know, I think I think tonight, hopefully they can survive it. Maybe they can do something crazy, but uh, really, it's going to likely going to come back to Game Three in Toronto, and they're going to have to, you know, hopefully be healthy and or healthier, and uh, you know, kind of put some pressure on Philly for once. Yeah, Michael, that's you know, the Thibel point is interesting because it almost allows Nurse to say, "Hey, I can try to let you." Play, you know, come out with a similar idea of if you guys are going to beat with your secondary players, where it will be down 2-0, but we're going home where we play well, and you will, you're missing a guy. So let me see. Instead of getting away from his game plan, see if you can hit those shots. Like is that element in the back of their mind that the Sixers are going to be shorthanded in that game in Toronto? I think it's an advantage, right? And yeah. it gives it gives uh, one less guy for Philly to kind of run at, say Pascal Siakam and. You know, that's one element we ever really touched on is, is you know, how are they going to cover Siakam? And you could see when Embiid switched on to Siakam, he had pretty good success. When it was George Yang, he had no chance, right? So, um, and, and, uh, no, and George Yang's a good defender. I mean, it's just a terrible matchup for him. I just think that, you know, Tybalt's another guy who, if, if he's not face up with Pascal, he probably gets overpowered a little bit, but he's such a good health defender. Just he's one of those guys you always got to know where he is. So, you know, and that's why I, I picked I picked Raptors in six. I thought they could come into Philly, you know, um, come home, get one or two, and then, you know, if you had to win a pivotal game, Philly would be, be without one of their best players in Toronto. I think yeah. if it went seven, I'd be more likely to, to take Philly. I don't know if it's going to get to six or seven right now. But. Well, we'll see. I mean, I, and I'll tell you this. Uh, I thought Philly's defense was way more active than they have been recently. And I guess that's a byproduct of playoff games as opposed to regular season games. But you mentioned, what are they going to do with Siakam? Embiid seemingly was roaming all over the place. I mean, they had him on Siakam on the post, and then he kind of he was going back and forth. They just seemed to be way more active. And that's a byproduct of having the whole week off. Now you're playing every
every other day. We'll see if that holds up, right? Yeah, that's a factor. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of little things that, that lean into that. I mean, if you're a Raptors fan or a Phillies fan, like, you do have to be a little encouraged or concerned is, is that the Raptors actually played really well offensively. They're not a great half-court offensive team, they, right. and that's why they rely so much on offensive rebounding, right? so much on forcing turnovers, none of which was, was part of that game. And yet they still shot a good percentage of the floor, a good percentage of the three. They got up 111 points. They got to the line. Like those are all really good things for them in a half court game, which is what that game ended up being. Being so, if you're Philly, you're like, you know, you got to you got to imagine you shot the ball great. You didn't give them any turnovers. They didn't get a lot of runouts off misses, and they still put up 111 points. So I think if that's, it's going to be very curious tonight if the Raptors can kind of start pushing the turnover total up 12, 14, 15. That really, all of a sudden, their record really gets a little better. If Philly's a little less tidy on their offensive glass, and all of a sudden there's a few extra chances there, and then Philly just kind of regresses to normal shooting volumes or shooting uh, performances, yeah. and then they can run off some misses. The, you know, the, the nature of the game could be a little different. Oh, um, no doubt. I, and I if thought all those things happen, we're not looking at a blowout, and it could be a, a tight game. I thought uh, Boucher getting three fouls, too. I mean, he's an active guy for a smaller right. team. He, he had three fouls pretty quick. Exactly. And, and you know, between him and Van Vliet. And, look, the Raptors formula is basically chaos, right? Like, they're not, <laughs> you know, because, as you point out, they. I mean, Siakam's a great player. I had a second-team All-NBA, but he's not your classic. He's not Kevin Durant. He's not Jason Tatum. He's not going to go and you're going to throw the ball to him and wait for 40, right? That's not really how he does it. He does it as he's really an oversized point guard is what he is. He distributes as much as he scores. Um, so I think, you know, really why they're, they can be such a dangerous and frustrating team is when they start really hounding on defense, they double more than any other team in the league, and all of a sudden you get Joel Embiid into a 4-5-6 turnover game. You get Harden into a four, five, six turnover game. Then you get a couple of others, and uh, you know they're going to run away from Danny. They're going to run away from Tobias Harris. Make him beat you. All of a sudden, those guys, you know, transition, and then they're going to, you know, they might not shoot it great in the half court, but they're going to get themselves eight or ten extra shots off the offensive glass. So. Um, that's their game plan. That's their their identity. They good enough team to win outside of that formula, and you know that's why you know the Sixers were so brilliant in Game One. Doc Rivers credit they you know they kind of identified the two or three things they absolutely had to do to neutralize Toronto, and they did it to a T. Like yeah. you couldn't do it any better. Can you do it again? Is the question. I'll leave you at this, Michael, because you brought up Doc Rivers' name. Now, most people here, uh, they're, they're ready to drive uh, Rivers to the airport. And the biggest, <laughs> the biggest concern is the Nurse Rivers matchup. Um, and it seemed that the Sixers were a step ahead. Like they were, I, I looked like the more prepared team, which was a surprise, I thought. I agree. I mean, you know, they, if you were to have a checklist of, of how to make the Toronto Raptors look ordinary, it would be, you know, all the things we just talked about. And, you know, can you repeat having your team turn it over three times? And really, two of those turnovers were in garbage time. Right. So in the first 33 minutes of the game, you, it was a one turnover game. I mean, I don't know. That's that's a, a low for a season opponent, obviously, for the Raptors. I think it was a season low for the, the Sixers. I mean, 
you know, I don't know if that's replicable, but you got to give some credit to Doc. I know he gets a ton of heat all the time, but, um, you know, he had his team come out by fluke or by planning play exactly that was the way that was necessary. Um, there will be adjustments from Nick Nurse, and, you know, and then, you know, and then the chess game is on. Should be fun. 7.30 tonight. Listen to the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. Michael Grange covers the Raptors uh, Sportsnet in Canada. And, of course, the series goes back to Canada on Wednesday night. You can hear that game right here on 97.3 ESPN. Michael, we appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Michael had the Raptors in six as uh, we had the Sixers in seven. He had Raptors in six. Right now, after game one... Don't get crazy. Have you changed your opinion on what you thought of this series and what you see now? Right? Sports Bass Live 97.3 ESPN. Um, I had somebody tweet at me over the weekend. <laughs> I don't know. Not everybody's... Uh... <laughs> well, somebody tweeted... That something about Doc Rivers. So, all right, I wrote my observations. Maxi is good. Raptors are small. Should be Sixers and five. All right, that was my observation after the first game. Doesn't mean like they're not going to make adjustments. Things aren't going to change. All that kind of good stuff, right? Just my observation after the first game. If you. Just go off of that, and they play similar. I mean, Maxi being that good is something. It's not a surprise, surprise, but he took another jump. There's no question. He completely took a jump to the, another level on Saturday night. And then watching them play in a playoff atmosphere like that, you see that the Raptors are small. And when they go small, and this is why I talk about Tuesday night in February, nobody cares. The game last night or Saturday night, it's way different style, way different pace, way different energy than when you play them on Tuesday night in February. Um, and somebody reached out to me and says, will you admit that you gave the Raptors too much credit based on regular season games against the Sixers? And I said it has nothing to do. It had no, my thought on the series had nothing to do with regular season matchups, right? It was more matchup-based is that they are a tough – defensive matchup for Philadelphia. Now, you take Scotty Barnes out, that changes things. Take Gary Trent, who was sick in game one, that changes things. He was 0 for 7, I think, to start the game off. I mean, you have a lot of different things that kind of factored in. But I put zero stock into what I saw between those two teams in the regular season. Um, that's not where I formulated my opinion on the series. I was having this argument with a buddy of mine on Sunday, and I was trying to explain to him, I said, what happened with the Sixers-Raptors regular season was not the reason why the majority of people who talk on the radio or on television talked about the Raptors being a tough series. Embiid played, missed one game. Van Vliet missed two games. There was no way you're going to take the regular season as a measuring stick. The measuring stick... or there's My point was, nothing that happened in those regular season games made me formulate my right. thought on how this series would go. And I don't think most people did either because I had Sixers in seven too. And my opinion has always been that if Siakam 
is the second best player in the series. That's a huge problem for the Sixers for seven games. Well, the, the, the matchup problems that I saw here is Philly trying to defend Van Vliet. Now, as we now kind of see, Van Vliet maybe isn't 100% healthy, okay? We mm. figured, I figured he'd come into the series after resting a lot during the last half of the season. Right. Um, that maybe he comes back fully healthy, ready to go. The Sixers have all sorts of problems with him. Also, Gary Trent averages about 18 a game. The Sixers, that means another wing. Uh, my problem with the Raptors is the fact that they're small. And that they have a lot of wings. What are the Sixers struggle? They do not defend wings very well. Hey, look, we could be having a conversation tomorrow if the Raptors start winging you to death in terms of taking the ball to the basket, taking the ball to the basket, taking the ball to the basket because you don't have good wing defenders. Right. That's a problem. So, again, going back to the conversation, it was my conversation, my analysis of the series had nothing to do with the four games they played. I could care less about the four games they played. It was the matchup, them being small, you not being a good wing defending team, and that they're a pain in the butt. They have very good defensive concepts. They switch a lot. They do a lot of wonky stuff. Why? Because they're not the more talented team. That's why. And frankly, most rational people who watch sports judge games on matchups. They don't judge it just on the regular season. You know, I'm not saying the regular season is worthless, but there's something to be said for the fact that it's becoming more and more worthless. It is, but it doesn't help when Embiid didn't play in one game and Van Vliet missed two of them. Yeah, the, the regular season matchups aren't what you go off of. What you try to formulate from regular season 82 games are some consistencies that your team shows right. or doesn't show. Hey, the Sixers are not a good consistently show that they cannot play good perimeter defense. Correct. They're not a good perimeter defensive team. They've had minutes from the backup center, which they made the change in the playoffs. They went with Paul Reed the other night. Hey, it's Mike Gill. Almost time for the NFL draft. And no matter what the experts predict, you can always expect some surprises. One surprise you don't want to turn on your air conditioner and discover it's not working. That's why I need to call my friends at Ambient Comfort Heating and Cooling, the professionals, for their $59 spring tune-up special for new customers for just 59 bucks. Ambient Comfort will check and clean your system to make sure it's safe and running at a maximum efficiency. Prepare to get you through the summer regardless of who originally installed your system. If your bills were too high last summer, maintenance or a new system from Ambient Comfort may help with rising energy costs this year. If you're concerned about the over-under of when your system makes it through the summer, go with a sure thing. When comfort matters, choose Ambient Comfort. Visit AmbientComfortNJ.com. That's AmbientComfortNJ.com. Or call 609-568-0955 for a $59 air conditioning tune-up. Tell them Mike Gill sent you. Now, Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. 5.30 Monday night. Of course, the Sixers in two hours from now. The anticipation. Game two. You can listen to all the action with Tom McGinnis right here on 97.3 ESPN. Hey, it's Mike Gill for the Caesar Sportsbook. Caesar Sportsbook is giving to uh, giving out a feast to new users, and by feast I mean two hundred and fifty dollar Uber Eats gift cards. Here's how it works: you bet fifty dollars total, and win or lose, you get a two hundred and fifty dollar digital gift card for Uber Eats. If you use the radio code Radio Eat, it's my promo code Radio Eat. That's for Caesar Sportsbook users. You must be 21 and physically present in New Jersey. 
New customers with eligible promo code only. Real money wagers only that have a minimum odds of minus 200. 250 gift card redemption code and steps to redeem the gift card are sent via email within 72 hours. The Uber gift card terms and conditions apply. See Caesars.com slash promo for full terms. Void where prohibited. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text hope ny Four six seven three six nine Caesar Sportsbook. Download it, people. Mike Gill with you. Josh Henning's my producer. Philly's lineup is out. Josh, uh, another uh, interesting lineup tonight. You ready to go? Uh, we got Real Muto behind the plate. All right. Harper DH. Castellanos is playing right field tonight. Hoskins in the four hole. At first, Schwarber is in left field, hitting fifth. Alec Bohm is your third baseman. He's hitting sixth. Gene Segura is at second base. He hits seven. Bryson Stott is the shortstop. He hits eight. And Matt Veerling is in center field. He hits nine. That's all in front of pitcher Aaron Nola tonight. So, Bohm back in the lineup. Well, Bohm had more hits or more errors tonight. <laughs> oh, that's a fair question, actually. Sad but true. Hey, look, I have been one who has supported Bohm. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a lot of people who are done with him, period, as a hitter. And I said, I like Bohm's swing. I like Bohm's approach. I think Bohm's a good hitter. I don't think he was a very good hitter last year. I don't think that means just because he had a rough year last year that he stinks. He's a young guy. I think you I think the defense has really gobbled him up. Now, you would say, well, what about this year? He's been terrible defensively. Well, he DH'd a couple times, so I think that has helped put the defense. And then, again, what did I say the other night? I think he had an aha moment. He got caught. He basically got it off his chest that I'm struggling, man. And then the crowd gave him a standing ovation. Now people want him to play every day. It's funny. All those people who think he stinks and he can't even hit, now all of a sudden, want him in the lineup every single day. Now, I have always been supportive of Bohm as a, as a hitter. I think he is a guy that first season when he came up in 44 games, he hit 338. He had a 400 on base percentage, a 481 slugging. He had four homers in 44 games. He had a good approach. He walked 16 times. He hits the ball the other way. Alec Bohm is a good hitter. He's a guy, too, that appears like he doesn't hit for power. Bohm is going to be a guy, in my opinion, that's a 285, 25 home run kind of guy. The problem is, and look, I like Bohm. I think Bohm needs to be in the lineup more. Here's the problem. He's unplayable in the field. Unplayable. Sad to say. I hate to say it. He's unplayable out there. So I don't know how you find regular at-bats for him without giving up a whole lot defensively. And that's the challenge that they now have because when you take a look at it and you look at the lineup that they have today, right? You take a look at the lineup that they're rolling out there today. They got Harper DHing. Okay, that means Castellanos. Somehow, some way, they are trying to get Harper, Castellanos, Hoskins, and Schwarber those four players all in the lineup at the same time. Mm-hmm. So 
if you want Boehm in the lineup, you're going to have to really suffer defensively. And that's the challenge that Joe Girardi has right now. Like today, Harper's dh Okay, Castellanos goes to right. Hoskins, if he's the DH, you could play Boehm there at first base. But then one of the other guys, Harper, Castellanos, or Schwarber are out of the lineup. Because unless you're willing to put Harper in center field, you can't have an outfield with Castellanos, Schwarber, and Harper unless you're willing to put Harper in center, which so far they haven't been able to. So it's hard to find Boehm regular playing time if he cannot field his position. I don't understand how people can't see that. Because you'll be the first person to ask him, why isn't he in the lineup? That will be bitching and moaning that he makes an error at third base. Or possibly two. Or maybe even three, like he did the other day. See, I'm with you. I am I love Alec Bohm, the hitter. I don't like Alec Bohm, the third baseman. And I just don't understand why this organization keeps trying to plug a, a square peg in a round hole. I'll tell you why. And then, look, I've been critical of them, too. I think they did him a disservice for not... When they sent him down last year, instead of sending him back to third base, they should have said, hey, we're going to move you to left field. Here's the problem. He can't play first on this team because, as Bob Wankel said earlier, Hoskins is so bad defensively, he has to play. He can't play anywhere else. And he's not a good first baseman either. That's for sure. So, is, But Hoskins is probably a better first baseman than Boehm is a third baseman. So are you going to replace Hoskins at first with Boehm at first? No. So then what's your next option? You're going to send Boehm out to left field. All right, let's stick him out in left. Well, then you don't have Schwarber and you don't have Castellanos. So now you go into that situation where he just does not have a position to play at this point. That's the facts. And the the Phillies, with the DH, add it to the to, to the... Uh, rules this year, they had a roster that already had multiple DHs on it, and they added two more. Schwarber is not a good defensive player, and neither is Castellanos. So you have essentially four players who are better suited to be a DH, and that's why Bohm can't play every day. So stop complaining that he's not playing every day until he gets better defensively. You can't play him every day. You just can't do it. I'm imagining... Josh, I imagine that some of these pitchers, when they pitch, they're saying, I don't want him playing third base. I would imagine that is probably the case. Well, it's probably similar to how pitchers prefer certain catchers or, you know, there were a lot of times. We go, you go back to the Braves in the 90s, right? With Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz. Well, yeah, the pitchers definitely have a catcher that they sometimes prefer throwing to. But if I'm a ground ball pitcher... I don't want him playing behind me. No, you want the best fielder possible behind you. Right. That's why people keep saying, why is Camargo keep getting all this playing time? I'm imagining that some of these pitchers are going to Joe Girardi and they're telling him, I don't want him playing third base behind me. I cannot give up extra outs. And you have to assume they're also saying, Joe, I'm more comfortable with filling the blank guy, too. Not because they're trying to throw Bohm or anybody under the bus, but because I think that they realize... Look, if I'm going to throw this slider on the outside corner away from this hitter and he's going to hit it on the ground, I need to be sure that that's an out and not another guy on base because remember what happened when Bohm had that huge errors of an inning. I guarantee you if Bohm doesn't have that first error on that throwing one when Ranger Suarez's first start, they might have won that game. 
easily. Mm-hmm. But instead, they had to come back late in the game, and it, it salvaged it. But guess what? Now look what's happened since then. They well, can't win a game. Listen, you cannot have, at the big league level, a ground ball to your third baseman not being fielded. You just can't have it. I get it. Once every once in a blue moon, you're going to boot one, you're going to throw one away. You can't have it be an adventure every single time. Look, I love to be able to take Bohm's side here because I'm one of the people who didn't bail on him as a hitter. But here, I'm the one saying you can't play him every day. Well, because you're being honest. You're, you're saying, look, this is the situation we're in, and it's, it's something that cannot be easily rectified. Uh, Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. You see this story? Uh, ESPN announced their draft plan uh, coverage plans. You, uh, guess who will not be there? Who will two, not be there? Two key people will not be there. Will Mel Kuyper not be there? Mel Kuyper will not be on site. He will be joining remotely due to his vaccination status. Oh, interesting. Well, now, well, hold on a sec. Because it's in Vegas, isn't it? Yep. So this isn't a vaccination rule by Las Vegas because Vegas doesn't have those rules in place. Mm-hmm. Nope. So this is an NFL rule, I guess. It's a some rule. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's ESPN. Maybe they're the ones saying, hey, I don't know. I mean, I remember. So when you were on vacation back in March when Rob Motti was on, him and I discussed about the fact of how, you know, the vaccination status has impacted a lot of the media people. And even he was saying, hey, I didn't want to get it. But I had to get it, you uh-huh. know, so and it's very interesting. So it'll be Mike Greenberg is the host for the two nights. Lewis Riddick, Booger McFarlane, Kuiper will be remote. Chris Mortensen, no Adam Schefter. It's his son's college graduation. Well, congratulations to his son. How about that? For the first time, like, life took over where they're like, that's bigger than the draft. I wonder if that was a decision maybe by the lady in the house, his wife saying... Listen, honey, you've been doing this NFL thing for the last 20 years. You might want to show up to your kids' He might have said, look, it's my son's college graduation. You you don't think the wife might have nudged him a little bit? We'll also have Jeff Darlington with the Chiefs, Kimberly Martin with the Jets, Diana Rossini with the Giants. Just a quick side note. Remember, Kimberly Martin used to be on the Jets beat. Okay. Uh, Jeff Darlington with the Chiefs, I said. Kimberly Martin... Diana Rossini with the Giants. Sal Palantonio will be with the Eagles headquarters. And Sal Pal will be on tomorrow, by the way, Ooh. at 3 o'clock. I like that news. Uh, Susie Colbert will handle interviews. Laura Rutledge will be in the green room. So there you go. Uh, Saturday coverage will be simulcast on ABC and ESPN. It'll be Reese Davis hosting, joined by Todd McShay. Uh, Riddick on site, Kuiper remotely. So, yeah, there you go. You have to wonder, because ESPN spent a lot of money on all those remote equipment for everybody to broadcast from their houses. Yeah, maybe someone like Kuiper's like, do I really want to go get this and leave my house? Do, you know, nah, you want to be there. Sure. Yeah. Kuiper's a weird dude, man. I heard him on a podcast recently, the first draft, talk about how he doesn't like to leave his house. Probably because he gets annoyed people recognizing him. <laughs> By the way, speaking of remote broadcast, did you see the story about uh, the Angels remote broadcast? Um, basically have been an embarrassment. 
Really? And Matt Vaskirji does the play-by-play. Uh-huh. He had to come out and apologize. Oh, wow. For how bad it's been. I did not see this. Now, I will preface this by saying I haven't seen many Angels games this year. So I couldn't tell you how bad it yeah, is. Yeah, a lot of delays. Ooh. Yeah. Just, it's been it's been really bad. Are they not on site? No, they were not on site. They were remote broadcasting a lot of these games. I wonder why that is. Cheap. <laughs> Are the Angels cheap or the network cheap? Whoever whoever does the broadcast. Bally Sports. So Bally's cheap. Yeah. What how long Vascoersionist took with that job? He just got it. A couple years ago. No, he was doing Sunday night baseball. And this right. is the first year that he's not doing Sunday night baseball. Right, but he'd been doing the Angels gig for a couple of years. He's a young guy. I would imagine he's going to stick with that for a while. I thought he was doing the Padres before that. He might have been doing the Padres. Yeah. I know he he was only doing MLB Network before the Sunday night gig. And then during having the Sunday night gig, he got the Angels gig. And they had it set up so he could do both the Sunday night baseball and the Angels gig, you know, like at yeah. the same time, basically. So Matt Vesker's is played by Mark Gubasaw is the uh, color analyst. I don't even think they're in the same. They call it off site, and they're not even to get. They're not even together off site. Wow. Yeah, that's just crazy. It's bad. All right, uh, we'll close up the show. Coming up next. Now sports bash on ninety seven Five fifty. Sixers tonight on 97.3 ESPN. I think it'll definitely be a more grinded out game. I think Toronto makes the adjustments, and those adjustments are not much. The adjustments they make aren't much. It is more, hey, Michael Grange was on earlier. I thought he said it well. He said that They thought Toronto played pretty well. The Sixers just shot the lights out. I don't think you're going to see a lot of adjusting their defense. I think they're going to say, hey, if you can beat us again with Tobias Harris, um, Maxi hit, what, five threes in the game? Hey, I love to see Maxi hit five threes again. I don't know that that's going to happen. Harris was three for five. Harden hit four. Niang hit two. You had one from Thibel, one from Milton. I mean, you had 16 threes the other night. If Maxi goes two of eight instead of five of eight, if Harris goes one for five instead of three for five, you know, you're looking at a much different game than the one you had. Um, so, look, give credit to the Sixers. They made shots. I don't think you're going to see the same shot making. That's inevitable. Um, it probably won't happen. Mike, I have a bigger question for you, though. Which broadcast do you watch these night? The local broadcast or the TNT broadcast? Who's on the TNT call? Well, I read on Sports Media Watch, it's supposed to be Gus Johnson's debut on TNT NBA Playoff Basketball. Mm. I think it, Gus is more of a college guy. I went with the NBC Sports Philadelphia feed on Saturday, and for no other reason than... When YouTube TV has it on two things, it asks you, which one do you want to hit? And my girlfriend was the one who streamed it, so I think she must have hit NBC Philadelphia. So you got to blame her? No, I don't mind. I mean, <laughs> in the past, I would always go NBC Philadelphia. Gotcha. Um, you know, there's an adjustment this year. 
trying to get used to the new broadcast team. Um, and I'm not an anti-national broadcast. Some of the guys I like on the national broadcast more than others. So if I get one of those, sometimes I'll go to them. Gus Johnson, probably not. I'm going to check it out because I want to see if, you know, if it's any good or not. Yeah. Maybe if it's not, I'll flip it over to the local. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people have given uh, the Sixers broadcast team a lot of heat because they're they're new. But I don't have a big problem with the broadcast team so much other than it just um, – Saturday, we were putting the game on. You have to stream it from my phone to the television, and it'll ask, like, which stream do you want, NBC, Philly, or ESPN? Whatever one she hit came up. I I certainly don't hate the local broadcast team. It's just I like to hear sometimes, you know, the people from outside our area's perspectives to see, you know, if what they – are they making sense? Are they giving up a good point that maybe I haven't heard before? Well, you know how they say, like, you know, hey, does a broadcaster make you watch the game? That's a tough question to answer. You don't want them to not want make you watch the game. Okay, do you agree with the Greg Gumbel that the broadcaster's job not to chase people away? Well, that's a good point. I heard that. Uh, he said that no one's watching the game for the broadcaster, but you don't want the broadcaster to make you turn it off. Right. Yeah. Hey, uh, I want to tell you about my friend Dr. Paul Lewis at South Jersey Advanced Health Solutions. I know uh, allergies were awful this weekend. I had people at my house sniffling, sneezing, scratchy throats, runny noses, eyes itchy. Not me. I got my allergies taken care of, and I'd like you to do the same. Contact Dr. Paul Lewis today, 856-285-4788, and get rid of of the allergies. The allergy season is here, and uh, man, scratchy throats and itchy eyes and runny noses, they're a thing of the past for me. I got them taken care of, and you can get them taken care of, too. It's easy to do. Contact uh, Dr. Paul Lewis at South Jersey Advanced Health Solutions. It's an easy procedure. You're in and out, less than a half an hour, 856-285-4788. I've had so many people ask me, hey, tell me about the allergy guy. What what happened? It was in, it was out, and I don't have allergy problems. I don't know what to tell you. If you're out there and you have allergy problems and you're not listening to me, that's on you. I don't have that problem anymore. Go to uh, sjadvancehealth.com for more information. All right, I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. Before I'm out of here, I got one more chance for you to qualify. And I need caller number seven right now at 609 573-3776 609-573-3776 Caller number 7 You are entered in for a chance to win an Eagles road trip for 2 to the 2022 Eagles road game of your choice You'll get airfare, a hotel a pregame tailgate party and 2 tickets to the Eagles road game of your choice You must be present to win on Thursday, April 28th at Slack Tide Brewing Company in Cape May Courthouse. It's all courtesy of Philly Sports Trips. Do Philly Sports Road Trips with the pros. Plan your trip at phillysportstrips.com. It's also brought to you by Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. They'll be supplying food for the party. Caller number seven. Good luck.